Hi everyone, and if you thought 2016 couldn't get any worse, it's now time for the 42 to Doomsday annual staff Christmas party. Episode of the 42 to Doomsday podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Richard. I'm Mark. And I'm Dave. And once again, very much thanks to Dave, we have assembled at his place to talk all things Doctor Who in the lead up to Christmas. How is everyone? Very well, thank you. Great, thanks for having us back on. No, it's a pleasure to have you both back. And Dave, thank you for sparing uh, 10 minutes of your busy podcasting schedule I with know. those old friends. Thank you. I know, courtesy of the Doctor Who show. Ah, now, the truck. In, now, in our last episode, um, which we talked about with guest Rob Irwin, uh, typical stories of Doctor Who, I think, uh, Dave, you were so inspired by the magnificence of that episode and indeed the topic. Yeah, no, it was a really interesting topic that I actually enjoyed and I actually went home and put together a list of my typical stories. So if I can just read them out to Absolutely. you. Absolutely, please. So for Hartnell, I went with the Ark, which, although it's not the classic crew, it's got some interesting 60s-style concepts. It's got some time travel in there. It's got Hartnell sort of in a middling performance. It's got interesting aliens. It's got a jungle. I thought it was a very, very Hartnell typical story. For Troughton, I went the Wheel in Space, which, mm. as we said in our Troughton discussion about a year ago now, actually covers every single one of the Troughton tropes. It's got Cybermen. It's got a base under siege. It's got a multi-ethnic crew. It's got a uh, commander that goes mad every one of those sci-fi near future concepts is in the wheel in space i think that's typical pertwee snap i've gone the demons and i think for the same reasons you've discussed i looked at alternatives and i couldn't go past it likewise i'm with you for tom i was umming and ahhing between invasion of time and image of the fendal yeah i think had image of the fendal had k9 or invasion of time being slightly better either of those would be perfect but somewhere in between them you have a perfect uh, Tom Baker story. Interestingly, I went very different with the Peter Davison collection. I've gone Mordred Undead because that's a four-parter. It's got a large TARDIS crew, half of which have nothing to do. <laughs> part, of, part of it looks very glitzy 80s. Part of it looks very drab. It's got an overuse of continuity. It's slightly special, but at the end of the year, what was all that about? I, I thought... And, and Davison has a strong performance, and Strixon has a strong performance. Oh. So all the good and the bad of the Davison era, I thought, was in Mordred Undead. I agreed with you guys about Attack of the Cybermen. Again, it's violent, it's continuity-laden, it doesn't make sense, it's glitzy. Colin is trying his best. Nicola is trying her best. Sadly. <laughs> no, that's a little bit fun. Oh, look, I think Attack of the Cybermen does sum up what's good and bad about the Colin era. McCoy, I went for Dragonfire, because I think that's exactly at the pivot point between the silly McCoy of season 24 mm. and the more serious McCoy of 25, 26. McCoy sort of has, again, the highs and lows of his era there. You've got both Mel and Ace. It's a three-parter. It looks good in some points. It looks absolutely terrible mm. in other parts. And the music's really good. Mm. So I think that sums up McCoy. For McGann, I went with you guys and uh, picked the telly movie. <laughs> not Night of the Doctor? Well, Night of the Doctor's probably his better story, but it's not It's not a typical story. For Eccleston... And it's non-canon at the end. That's true. <laughs> For Eccleston, I went the long game. Oh. And I think I picked that rather than... Uh, you guys picking it, because I actually quite like the long game. But I think that has a nice blend of, again, the good and the bad of the Eccleston era. Some of it's inventive, some of it's a bit obvious. It's got a guest star that 
partly works and partly doesn't. It's got a bit of silliness, a bit of darkness. I, I think it's a good summation of the era. For Tenant, Planet of the Ood. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I, I couldn't. I struggled as to what is really a typical Tenant story, and this one is very watchable. It's got an interesting cast. Mm. Tenant again has some good parts and has some really annoying, patronising parts. Part of the plot is really clever, and then it just goes into silly, strange directions. So I, I thought that was quite typical. I came close to you guys with Matt Smith. You went to uh, not the Big Bang Theory. Um, the Bang. Big Bang. Big Bang. You went there. I went to the Pandora Opens mm. because, again, it's got some good Matt Smith. It's got some very awful Matt Smith. The plot, just when you think it's making sense, stops making sense. It's got lots of continuity going back to its own stuff. It's wrapped up in its own self. So I went Pandora Opens. And for the Capaldi era, I went with you guys under the lake. So mm. that's my list. Similar to yours in parts, different in others. Very good. Richard, did you have any thoughts on the typical I, on I, the, I haven't compiled a list, I'm sorry. Um, I, I thought, Rob, you might have snuck Horror Fang Rock in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking typical, not, not magnificent. Atypical. So. <laughs> well, look, I think they're all solid choices. And honestly, that, that list was quite solid. Um, Hartnell, I'd have maybe gone... I don't know what story I'd pick. I'd probably go for one maybe from the earlier part of the run because you've got... Uh, if you think of Hartnell, you probably think of Ian and Barbara, the original crew, with Susan. So I, I'd have thought you'd probably maybe gone for something from season one. I think the problem with Hartnell, though, is because he's such a divergent era and they're trying so many things, it's hard to land on a typical Correct. story. Yeah. yeah, and I had difficulty with the Tom Baker era because you could probably split Tom Baker into three different eras. Yeah, absolutely. And go, you know, one from the Gothic era, one from the Williams era, and one from the, you know, the last... But, and, 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 and that's why that Fendal invasion of time period is kind of that pivot point again mm. yeah. between the two eras. So mm. I suppose, then again, that the Tom era... I mean, the last one I wouldn't have said was really typical of Tom at all because, I mean, it's, it's only one season and, and I, I don't think he really isn't enjoying himself very much, I don't think. He's been tired um, to do, isn't he? Yeah, pretty much, I think. Yeah. It's still my favourite um, Tom Baker series. Is it? Absolutely. Okay. But season 18's in my top three seasons ever. Yeah, it, quite, quite happily. What are the other two? Uh, seven and 21. Probably season two to round out the top four. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um, Davison one, I, I, when I was listening to the podcast, I sort of thought Davison... See, I was probably more thinking, Davison, if you're thinking what the public were thinking, they're probably thinking it's starting to look cheap, it's got crap monsters in it, it doesn't look very good. So I'd have maybe gone for something like a really controversial one like uh, Warriors of the Deep. Because that probably, well, that tip, yeah. if, you, if you take that mindset, yeah. that really typifies that, that version of Davison, where, as I said, where it's now starting to look cheap. As I said, it's got a really crap monster in it. It's again um, very continuity heavy. It is, yeah. and and the performances are, are you know Doctor Who just looks cheap and tacky by that. Point. And, and by that point, to make it perhaps a broader thing, we're back to the Earthshock syndrome, aren't we? Where after Earthshock was such a big success with the fans who are all patting JNT on the back and telling him what a wonderful producer he was, we know from um, Richard Marsden's book, JNT's continually saying to Eric Say, "Would do me Earthshock again, do me Earthshock again," and the rest of the Davison era, and and I guess perhaps the rest of Colin Baker era as well. Is just Eric Say were desperately trying to satisfy J and T and give him another version of Earthshock. And, and Warriors of the Deep wants to be Earthshock. Yeah, mm. but it just fails on every level. It does. No. So I mean, by that point, you can then say, well, if you if you think what the public thought of Doctor Who through in the Colin Baker era, um, that probably leads to something like time. What, 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 <laughs> what, what, what the viewing public thought of Doctor, uh, Colin, the Colin Baker era was a, basically a toilet swirling. Yeah, so, I, I think yeah, they thought so it was a good that time lash. <laughs> Well, yes. I think what they thought of the Colin Bakery was it was a good time to do the shopping, based on the ratings. Yeah. All right then. So, um, well, thank you very much, Dave, for revisiting that. And, no, and my pleasure. Richard, for your contributions. 
and we'll move on to our next topic. Because this is the Christmas uh, episode, uh, we're going to um, diverge from Doctor Who a little bit and talk uh, about some other things that interest all of us. It's it's like the Clive James end of year specials, isn't it? Yes. Yes. So we're going to do great man of the they, year. They, they were great. Those. They, they were great. Do man yeah. of the year. Yeah, or person of the year. No, no, man of the year. Well, he did. He did. <laughs> <laughs> But um, in tone with uh, when we're recording this, we're in the shadow of the inauguration of uh, one Donald J. Trump. And because, um, well, American politics is a particular interest of mine and of Dave's, we're going to chat about that for a little bit, not too long. Richard and I were going to go out. No, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. So uh, because, um, as we all know, it's, it's, shocked. <laughs> in the absence of Doctor Who, uh, American politics has dominated this year. <laughs> it's been the best drama released this year. Exactly. The, 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 the twists, the plot twist we never saw coming, the stunt casting we weren't expecting. And the ending. The cliffhanger ending. Yeah. So, Dave, uh, you're our resident uh, politician. Uh, and, and I'll just preface this by saying, as a sort of warning, I do work for the federal government in a very lowly position. My opinions don't reflect the opinions of anyone. I just want to put that in because I'm overcautious. Dave, go on. I work for a senator in the federal government, so my opinions definitely are my own. I'll put that out as well. Look, the biggest thing that came back to me, and I'll link this to, to pop television in some way, I suspect many people who listen to this podcast have seen South Park, at least some of it. Yeah. There's an episode of South Park about the uh, alien, or not the aliens, the earthlings that come from the future to get cheap jobs and make it. And in that, they have this regular recurrence, recurring joke of the crowd standing there going, they took our jibs! <laughs> <laughs> which, which we've been laughing at as, 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 a, as a group of friends for 10 years now. And, and we think that's incredibly funny. What's happened this year is that those people who do sit there and genuinely believe that others have taken their jobs either are unemployed, haven't seen a pay rise in 20 years, they've seen the industries that they left school to work in go completely under, they've seen Democrat and Republican administrations not help them, mm. and they generally feel absolutely screwed and absolutely ignored. Now, in that circumstance, when you have one candidate who is extremely qualified to be president, but offers no vision and represents the epitome of more of the same versus a candidate who says absolutely right they did take our jobs and i'm going to fix it for you how i'm just going to do it trust me they voted for that guy i think the guy's a pig mm. uh, i think we can probably all agree on that i think that his economic policies are Shambola. a recipe for disaster yeah. yep. the irony is that these people who genuinely have been left behind by the new economy if he puts up a 45 percent tariff on china their cost of living is going to double and whilst he's adding nine point trillion to the deficit, their jobs are going to disappear as well. So it's a bizarre thing for them to do, but that's why. Watch that South Park episode. Look at those guys saying, they took our jobs! <laughs> and they're the guys that voted for Trump. And I don't agree with their decision, but I get why they did. I take two things away from this. Much like the Brexit vote, the election of Donald Trump upended everything that I assumed was right. What he represents is an upending of the, the you know, the international order from 1945. Mm. Yeah, but Whether he follows through on what he was saying or not, we'll, we'll soon find out. But I, it just, you sort of sit there and you go, well, everything I assumed was, was right and correct is, um, now is wrong. But as John Pertwee said, 
The people need to understand that joining the Federation will be good for all the people on Peloton, not just a few nobles at court. And Perby was actually right back in 1973. And let's face it, I mean, Brexit, I, speaking as an Australian, I'm very pleased that Brexit happened because the trade deals we're going to get with Britain are so much better <laughs> than what Britain would have got with Europe and bring it on. Very, very happy. But again, popular culture in the UK has been making fun of the EU for 30 years. Hmm. You watch, whether it's Yes Minister or the New Statesman hmm. or any of those, they've made fun of the EU being overly bureaucratic, restrictive, governing Britain without a mandate, all these things. Is there any shock that after 30 years of satire, people have gone, we don't want that? Why should we pay to be part of a thing most of whom don't like Britain anyway? The only thing that surprised me about Brexit was that the vote was so close. And don't forget, in his Peladon sequel, The New Adventure Legacy, Gary Russell actually has Peladon leaving the Federation after 100 years. So, Gary Russell, if you're listening to this, you called Brexit 20 years before it happened. <laughs> the other thing, I, my takeaway was that for all her establishment credentials and her undoubted um, knowledge of government and policy and all that sort of thing, Hillary Clinton this year, as she was in 2008, was clearly the wrong candidate for the Times. Correct. And that looking, I mean, it, when you when you look at back back at Obama's uh, campaign back then for his you know the first election victory, he was positioning himself as the outsider. He was talking about you know renegotiating NAFTA or looking at um, doing things with these free trade uh, agreements that weren't going to impact on on workers as such. And as the outsider candidate, he turned out to be very much the insider president. And the, all the talk about hope and change then never really eventuated. I mean, as you said, people, Dave, these people have been, you know, haven't had a decent pay rise for 20, 30 or 40 years. And and these people who voted for Donald Trump actually voted for Obama twice. Yeah. And they've obviously come to the decision that the hope and change that he represented never really eventuated. Yeah, they, 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 they've, they've lived through Bill Clinton. They thought, we'll try George W. Bush because yep. he, was, he was a good old boy from Texas. Yep. They thought that didn't work. We'll try Obama because he's hope and change and promising a new America. Mm-hmm. That didn't work. Yep. Clinton is not where you turn to next. No, and the and it, it's just the stranglehold of the Clinton machine and the Democratic establishment and, and the party yeah. has led them up a blind alley. That's that's the biggest thing I take away from the whole election was the way the Democratic Party just got out of her way. Mm. If Biden had run, if Andrew Cuomo had run, a number of others, Bernie? they could they could have got the nomination. Not not no. No, Bernie, I don't, I don't think they would have voted for Bernie, would they? No, I think I think I think Bernie's just a left wing version of Trump, frankly. Mm. With slight, well, slightly well, a lot less of a pig, but policy wise, he's actually not that far from Trump. I mean, mm. that would have eviscerated him. I mean, he's, an, he's a socialist, basically, and yeah. I, I don't think socialists win presidential campaigns in America. It just but doesn't... he captured a mood, didn't he? That's true. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't think he captured a mood. If, if there's somebody who's promising to give you lots of free stuff, mm. that's, but, that's but a very easy would, promise. Would that have necessarily translated into votes come, come election time? No, probably not. But the one thing I'll say out of this all is that Donald Trump has given us a much better season arc than we've had in Doctor Who for quite a while. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, we'll move on to our next topic. In early November, the animated version of the highly anticipated uh, Power of the Daleks was released to the... Uh, uh, Hang on, highly anticipated... um, Mark, highly anticipated, maybe. Okay. Likely not. Anyway, so... Uh, we just sort of a quick conversation about uh, our thoughts and opinions of the animated version of that particular story. So, and how we how we experienced it. Dave, we might start with you first. Oh, really? I haven't seen it. Okay, so <laughs> no, no, no. But uh, actually, to, to to make the the valid well, point, you? I have ordered the DVD. Yeah. The DVD hasn't arrived. 
given that I've paid for the DVD, I'm not paying for an iTunes copy. Mm. And so I'll wait to see it. But I make the broader point. What I've found listening to various Doctor Who podcasts and talking to people, some fans love the audio CDs and that's enough for them. And I'm in that category. Mm. I've listened to the power of the Daleks once every 18 months or so since the CD was came out. So I know the story. I know what happens. And I'm actually not that excited to see the animation because it's not adding anything that I don't already know in terms of story and it's not the real thing. So as I say, I've ordered the DVD, I will watch it, but I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with the audios. So I'm actually not that fast. Has anybody watched it? Yes. Yes. I'll say that, uh, like Dave, I haven't actually watched it. I might have, well, I've, I've watched the first 10 minutes of episode one, so I'm not in a position to make any particular comment. I will say that... Um, Did you at least enjoy that? No, not really. Um, no, not at all. Sorry, sorry. Why because, is that? Because of the animation or the story? Uh, the animation. Okay. I thought the animation was... Look, it's unfair to really pass judgment on 10 minutes. And I've heard that the first episode, in terms of the animation, is the weakest and it becomes more consistent. And when the Daleks actually start appearing, from what we've seen from the clips, they're very well animated, very smooth mm, and all that sort yeah. of thing. I will say that I had heard about the animation some months before it was initially released. And whilst I was intrigued... I wasn't particularly excited about it, and I still remain unexcited at this point. I think I may have said some sometime earlier, um, this is obviously just a money-making exercise. It's the 50th anniversary of the first appearance of Troughton. Good on the BBC, good on BBC America for wanting to do it and earn some, some cash. I'll eventually get the Blu-ray when it comes out next year, because I'll have it, you know, whatever. But I'm not falling over myself to get a, get, get a look at it. Richard? I've watched it. I enjoyed it. I mean, look, you're right. Look, it's not really fair to probably pick on the animation or anything like that because look we're not talking about Pixar no but um, if they're making us pay money we're allowed to judge it do you get feel you got value for your money I think that's a fair question I found it more interesting than some of the recons I've watched um, I mean look unlike you you're I quite a low like there, aren't you? sorry you're looking at the recons aren't well flash. I was going to come to that I mean look unlike you I haven't listened to it as frequently as you have I, I quite like the audio CD with, with the linking narrations yeah and, and let me say most of those stories are favourite stories of mine so stuff like Power Evil Fury uh, Toy Maker Myth Makers Massacre Marco Polo they're all stories I regularly go to and listen to because I really enjoy those stories, and the audio is enough for me. Yeah, look, I like the audio. I, I've never been a particularly big fan of recons, and I do have memories of a... And I think it was one of the very first fan recons done. Um, there was a horrible recon done of Power of the Daleks about 20 yes, years yes. ago. Was, yes, I remember that um, one. I, I mean, look, I say horrible. Clearly for the days. time, it was early days, because yeah. they didn't have very many reference photographs. It was no. pre-telly snaps or anything like that. Um, well, they had about three references. Yes, and, and I, I found that... I remember trying to watch that and just found that just horrible to watch. Did you physically lose the will to live? <laughs> I know. I, I don't think I ever got through it. I think yeah. I got about two couple episodes into it and went back to the audios. Look, I enjoyed it. You, you're right. Look, the, the animation with the Daleks themselves is a lot better than the human animation. And I found the human animation quite jarring in places. Very stilted. Yeah. Very Captain Pugwash, perhaps. <laughs> oh, yeah. Am I asking leading questions there? I don't know. No, no, no. I don't know. How, I don't how, see... how is Master Mate and Tom the Cabin Boy? <laughs> <laughs> An urban myth, apparently. So. And, and Seaman Staines. <laughs> yeah. um, no, no. It was Master Mate and Tom the Cabin Boy, not Master Bates and, oh, Rod, okay. and Roger the Cabin Boy. That's the urban myth. Oh, yes. Okay. All right. So I didn't see it in the cinema and I... I suspect seeing it in the cinema wouldn't have added very much to the experience. Well, if only there was someone who'd seen it in the cinema. Ah, oh, here's one. Actually, I saw it at the BFI at a technical screening a few years ago. Sorry, not that one. Um, 
I went and saw it at the NFI. Very NFI. Very funny. Anyway, uh, so I went and saw it at the uh, cinema. There's about 25 uh, people in attendance. Cinema's full? No, no absolutely not. not. No, I went to the Rivoli in Camberwell Cinema One. It was a fairly big cinema, and there was like 25 of us in well, there. Took I think about a hundred thousand, and I think it only went for one week. So. Yeah, okay. and uh, I noticed about nine people walking out during the first maybe ten or fifteen minutes of episode one. Wow. Now I didn't run after them and ask them, say, "Hey, I'm Mark from Forty Two. Why are you leaving?" Mm. Uh, I don't know whether people's expectations were this is going to be like the day of the Doctor in the screen in the cinema, blah blah blah. Maybe they've recovered it like we have an enemy. I don't know what people's uh, going expectations, expectations were, yeah. were exactly. So look, nine people walked out. It was actually edited together. So Sans Cliffhanger. Sans Cliffhanger. It wow. was edited together. It was... Look, I was... Lo- it was like watching the early recon. I was losing the world to live by episode wow. two or three. Because I watched it broken up. I watched an episode or two, then had, came back the following day and watched yeah. a bit more. I don't think I could have sat through all six of it. No, day. it was a struggle. Wow. But then again, episodes four and five and six, the tension just ratchets up. And I suppose you get used to the slightly pugwash nature of the animation. And look, to be honest, I had six months to do it, and I thought I did an outstanding job in those six months to actually get something out there. I mean, they wanted nine. The BBC turned around and said, we're going to give you six, which is unrealistic anyway, but they got something out, and I thought that it did a very good job. The only thing is, that I think from a distribution point of view, BBC Store, I think, for the first week or two, and, of course, everybody's trying to clamour. that We were locked out of that market, obviously. We couldn't get iTunes or anything like that. However, that's where know, I got mine. Well, anyway. some people don't VPNs, but I know some people actually got torrents of it because they couldn't be bothered waiting for the week or two. So they actually got all the uh, distribution lined up as they should have. They would have made more money because I know people got on torrents. Well, mm-hmm. well look, I, I must admit, had they put it up on the Australian iTunes quicker, I might have dipped in and picked you know, a random episode, like episode yeah. three, episode four. Yeah. As I said, I'm not going to pay for the whole thing, but I might have paid $3 for one episode just to give it a test out. Hmm. And they didn't allow me to do that. Look, I think it's a really great story. And I appreciate that if you're someone who doesn't get the audio or or can't listen to the audios and get the story, which a lot of people can't, and that's just a different way they experience it, then this is a great way to see it. And if it means more people see Power of the Daleks and appreciate what a great writer David Whitaker was with the Daleks, Mm. that's an absolutely brilliant thing, but it wasn't something I personally needed. I'll get a bit technical. The sound of it was amazing because Mark Hares had redone the whole sound in 5.1 and it sounded pretty good in in the cinema, but there were some bits, I think it's on episode one or two, where there's just patches of audio and nobody understands what, what the actual action is. So basically the characters are sitting there or standing there just shuffling and looking awkwardly at each other yeah, just that, shrugging their shoulders well, there's, obviously, well, there's obviously no reference photo for what's happening at that point yeah. Yeah. so instead of actually editing the audio I understand if they edited the audio then they would get some people going why did you edit the audio actually would have made it big gaps of silence just edit it but I understand why they didn't because you would have got some numpty on PMF or anybody like that just going no you shouldn't have edited it so yeah Mark and Richard now that you've seen the visual a visual version of the story yeah has that Im- did that improve your experience of you know having previously listened to it? Do you, do you think it adds anything to what you've what you've experienced before? As I said I, I found it more I found it better to watch than some than the recons I've watched. Uh, I think it was certainly an improvement on those. Yeah. And, and look, I know a lot of work goes into the recons, and at the time they were being produced in the nineties, they probably were about as good as it got. Yeah. Um, so that without sort of trying to, you know, dis, dis recon makers. Mm-hmm. And, um, but again, some people love the recons. Like, again, they don't work for me, the audios do. Yeah. Some people are the opposite. I think it's just how your brain's wired. Yeah, yeah. Um, so look, I certainly found them better in that. I, I I, don't know that I could have sat through all six episodes in one go. It was a struggle. 
Yeah, and I and I certainly don't think I don't think seeing in the cinema. Did did you find seeing in the cinema really added to your experience, or did apart you... from the sound? No, no. But, I mean, and apparently the, the version they showed was was not like high def. People were complaining in the cinema so it was jaggy lines, and there was a little bit of jagginess on the line. So, look, people were getting a bit narky on it. But look, I was enjoying it, eating my chop top, and you know, did, did, did you feel effects. like a better fan for going to the cinema? Um, do you know what? If somebody hadn't have bought the tickets, I probably wouldn't have gone. Okay. It was only because somebody had organised the group and said, do you want to go and see it? I said, well, why not? You know, I'll go and, go and sit on a Sunday do afternoon. You, do you have a friend, Mark? I've got three friends. Mark's got a friend. Actually, that session was uh, Omni Room to Central for Melbourne. <laughs> Put it that way. Friend. Friend. Fandom, fandom friend. friend. Fandom friend. We all jumped on the seats <laughs> and started jumping up and down. But, um... Mark, did you anybody appreci- who hasn't seen the in-between is just going to have no idea what no, that was. It's a great, it's a great show. <laughs> did your appreciation of the story increase or decrease because you were sawing a visual element to it now for the first time? Look, it was certainly better than the recon. No, not really. Mm-hmm. Always in the back of my mind, it's always going to be, look, that's great. I'd love to see, obviously, the original yeah. um, that's being held hostage. So, I've always felt, in terms of the 60s Dalek, uh, the Troutons Dalek story, I always preferred evil myself. Than, than power. Um, now the irony is, if they do evil, I think that we could all say, look, evil. I think is a brilliant story. It is. It's. Just, I think it's a top yeah. ten story. But I suspect that if and when we find the visuals, some of it will be really good, like the Empress Throne Room. Some of it, like the Battle of Ascaro, will be not just bad, but embarrassingly bad. But the audio, sorry, the animation would actually have a chance to take those visuals and actually make it a really spectacular. Episode. I, I, I think yeah. you'd have to step the animation up a bit, though, with if you were going to do something like Evil, because I mean, there's been there's all the complaints about the animations they've done for the other incomplete stories, like everybody complained about when they did um, when they did Reign of Terror because they were too jumpy and too cut, which didn't match the rest of the or story. Whether they did the Ice Warriors and look like South Park. Yeah, mm. um, you know, I, I think, and even the Tenth Planet one, which I thought was probably the best of them. Even, yeah, even, yeah. even there were people complaining about that. So yeah. I think if you were going to do something like Evil and do the whole big experience with it, you'd really have to up your game in terms of, of how you produced it. The opportunity there. Yeah, I mean, the problem with those earlier animations on the DVDs is that. They never really... It was always the cheapest option. Never got a consistent animation style. Because, yeah. like, you know, Reign of Terror looked like a manga video. You had Tenth Planet. This was Like Richard said, it's better. I mean, the Invasion's always been the best one for me. I just enjoyed the Invasion and, and the style of that a lot better than Yeah, than I must admit, that was pretty good. But then I was happy with The Crusade, which just put, released the audios. The Crusade? Yeah, when they released like the Crusade just, on, the, just, on the box yeah, set. Yeah, they just released oh, the box set with the, yeah, with yeah, the audios. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm personally satisfied with yeah. that, but I get a lot of people weren't. And yeah. as I say, if this means they can experience the story they otherwise wouldn't bother with, yeah. then that's a good thing. I think that's the key thing, isn't it? It, it, it opens up power, a seminal story, um, to a wider audience. A wider yeah. audience uh, and it gives them a chance mm. to appreciate that. Now, the talk obviously is that if this is successful, i.e. it makes money that another story um, from that era will probably mm. be open for uh, animation. Do we have any thoughts on what would be a viable candidate, for instance, if that's not too leading a question? Yeah, it'd have to be evil next, but they yeah. have to be given more time and more money to do it properly. So if, if the BBC is into you know, monetizing anniversaries, yeah. when, did, when was evil broadcast? About a year seven. later. Yeah, 67, so you're talking yeah. next year. So about 12 months they've got, yeah. if they were going to yeah. do it. Yeah. 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 Okay. But then again, they've got one episode of evil. 
recovered. So mm. would they, you know what I mean? Like, so maybe you do something like Fury where the game Fury, is nothing. Yeah, yeah. But the, the interesting thing with Fury, though, is I think that it actually works better as an audio. And I don't think the well, we know the visuals are just going to be the trout and foam machine. Yes. But, but I suppose in a helicopter going up and down in animation, that's just going to be. I, I suppose joke. it would give you maybe if you took a bit of artistic license, a chance to move away from just showing the the BBC yeah. foam machine. You could actually do something a bit more inventive with it. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I, I understand that they for Power of the Daleks, they look very closely at the camera scripts. So, do you think that if they were to do another animation, they would take the script only? And then just do their own animation, their own Re-imagine. shots, their own angles. Well, well you can do the same angles and the same shots, but as Richard says, it doesn't have to be the foam machine yeah. exactly, or it doesn't have to be a, clearly a toy Dalek in Evil of the Daleks no, no. So you could actually do that no, a bit better. I, I suspect you might sort of get the, the, the complainers, I think, you've gone too far away from, you know, we've got the reference photos mm. and your animation doesn't look anything like them, and now I'm really angry. But, but as long as they've bought a copy. If you do, yeah, they'll, you but don't. they'll buy a copy. Anyway. They'll buy a copy. Doctor and if they boycott it, it'll be so that the amount of people boycotting it will be so minuscule that they're laughable. I'd actually like to go the other way in terms of these releases because if the biggest positive about them is bringing stories people haven't seen to to a new audience, I'd like them to do some of the forgotten stories. Do the Mythmakers. Do Macroterra. Do the Smugglers. You know, stories that nobody or very few people actually ever listen to or know or read the book of, it would be like a whole new adventure for some people. I could yeah. see some of them being difficult, particularly if you get something like the Mythmakers. Well, it's definitely difficult with that attitude. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I I suppose see, that the they're thing, not going to put it in the cinemas, are they? Well, I'm more thinking because you've got, and it's the problem with the, Wilde, the John Wiles produced stuff, you've actually got nothing in the way of visual yeah, references to, to really to work from. True. Um, I mean, which would make, sort of rule out, I mean, The Massacre would be another one. Um, I actually suspect the massacre might be one that that would go. I don't think would lend itself to animation anyway, because a lot of the massacre is just people standing in a room talking to other people. Yes, yeah, Br- brilliant, right. brilliant it's, talking. It's, it's it's great, but it's also one I don't know that you'd also add a lot to if it was to be. I mean, look, I'd love to see it, but I don't know that it would add a heap to some of the episodes. I think if, if they were recovered, because no, and if you're going for a visual spectacle, yeah. Master Plan surely has to be up yeah. there. Because that is a visual spectacle as well as a brilliant story. Mm. But again, it's that they've got three episodes of that. How would they? Well, they wouldn't. They would just do their. Own, they would eventually do their own animation. I think they just animate mm. a version themselves without reference to any particular. Can imagine twelve, twelve episodes in the cinema? Jesus Christ! Edited together, you'd be there in a coma. If if they found it and recovered it and they showed twelve episodes in the cinema, you'd go, wouldn't you? Oh, God, I'm there. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there, buddy. I'm there. We're all going. And We're all uh, going. Because we love the Omniruma. How was the Omniruma chat afterwards, Mark? We'll talk offline. Okay. But um, Melbourne is the hub of the Omniruma. In the last episode, I emailed with a question posited to the group, which was, of all these six-part Doctor Who stories, which are the ones that would work better if they were four-parters? So I'm saying here, not ones that are bad stories, and it doesn't matter what the length would be, but something that's a not bad story or a good story would be even better if it was a tighter four-part story and the guys here thought it was such a great question we've decided to discuss it on our christmas special hooray that's a very good idea so we're going to do a top three each we'll go around the table and Mm. since i'm talking i'll start i've actually gone for the sensor rights because i think the sensor rights its weakest problem is it takes two episodes to get to the story Mm. and once it's actually down in the sense sphere, things start happening at a reasonable pace so i reckon if you could cut two episodes out 
be down on the Cenosphere by the end of episode one and into the adventure. Look, it wouldn't be a great story and it would mm. still have that really horrible moment when the Deputy Chief Sensorite realises that none of them, that they all look the same and therefore he can change his badge. And <laughs> 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 yeah, that, yes. that's a really bad moment. I'm not saying it would be a great story, but I think most people give up on the Sensorites after part two, which is a shame because the next four are good. A tighter Sensorites is my number three. Mark? In the same season, I'm actually going to go with Reign of Terror. Oh. So when they struck upon this educational remit uh, that the program should have, I would have actually said, that's fine, but I'm not going to do anything more than six episodes. So, because I think Reign of Terror is... The subject matter actually is quite interesting. And I think the best way to engage the kids about historical events is to get to the, get to the end as quick as yeah. you can. I think the Reign of Terror is one of those historicals where it does drag out quite a lot. If I see that bloody coach uh, going along that road as a as a scene transition more than four times, I just lose the will to live. Well, let's just cut all of the Susan malingering subplot. Oh yeah, it's bloody horrible. That is awful. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, and then if it was four episodes, it probably would have been spared the animation for episodes. Uh, was it three and four? Yes. Oh, or four and five. Four sorry. and five. Four, four and five. Sorry. So um, you know, with her host historicals, Aztecs works well as a four. Mythmakers, Massacre, Highlanders work well as a four part. And I think Rain of Terror would be in the same category. I think it'd be better remembered if it was uh, a lot tighter. Good call. You're number three, Richard. I have a heart on my list, so I'll put that one out now as well since we're clearly <laughs> stinging the boot in. <laughs> um, and I've, uh, I've, I've chosen, and I'm sorry, it's a regular target for, for um, Hartnell, which is the Zabi. Um, uh, well, it's, AKA the Web Planet. Yes, because um, it's probably the opposite of the Sensorites um, in that it's got an episode or two of reasonably interesting setup, but then the last two-thirds of it really, really drag. Well, half of part six is Barbara just lying on the ground pointing an ineffectual device at the animals. I, I think you could easily trim that down. I mean, if you were to do it today, you could probably do it in the whole thing in 45 minutes. But um, And I do remember, I also have fond memories, um, a, a friend or acquaintance of ours in the 90s uh, cut it down to, I think, about seven minutes or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think seven or eight minutes. And, and it was actually still watchable even at that length. No, I think that's actually a really good call because the story is quite interesting. The setup's good, and visually it's different at least. Mm. Yeah, I, I like that, Robert. Yes, it's me. Um, I'm going to go to uh, an, an extreme. I'm going to say, um, well, it's technically not six episodes. It is in minute running time. It is the two doctors. I think that uh, you could, well, he could probably, you know, take three episodes worth of material, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and doing so, I think. You're collapsing the storyline would allow you to have more sixth doctor, second doctor interaction because, really, I suppose, for these sort of uh, celebratory, even though there was no celebration they were pinning it to, these sort of event stories, um, you do want that interaction. I mean, yeah. everyone remembers in the five doctors, five doctors, the interaction between the doctors, uh, and especially with the three doctors, it's more condensed. So, um, whichever bits of the two doctors you want to hive off, hive them off, but uh, if you collapse the storyline, you allow more interaction between the doctors. And I think you have a... I mean, it, it, the storyline is pretty bloated as it is. You just tightened up a great deal. Well, I think it says a lot about the two Doctors. You're literally halfway through the story before Colin's Doctor arrives in Spain. Mm. Yes. And that, that, I think, says it all. The vein of storytelling we have these days is cut out the preamble, get your main characters, smash them into the, in, into the, into the story itself, mm. and all that bloat at the beginning or whatever or during it, it just has to go. So, uh, the two Doctors. Are we just now used to, because you just mentioned that style of storytelling it is now, basically smash it through. 
now we're looking back at TV, which was made 20, 30 years ago. Well, well, I'm going to refute that with a point I was saving for the end. Yep. It actually fits in well now. Although we've all got a list of six-parters we can cut down, I'm going to go out there and say there is not a single seven-parter I would cut at all. Silurians, Ambassadors of Death, Marco Polo, Inferno, I think they are all classics. They are all in my top 20, and I would leave them all because they take the time to tell a story with multiple subplots, with multiple multiple deviations, great characters, and they all do it well. So I think that all the seven-parters work, even if many of the six-parters don't. Take that. I think Ambassadors could lose an episode very, Ma- look, very, look, very, very easily. Look, of all of them that could, Ambassadors is the one that I oh, might I concede. Mean, I might episode, concede. There's yeah. an episode in the middle of Marco Polo where not much happens. Uh, look, look, look there is. But, but again, that's a reflection of the, the style of the 60s where they were trying different stuff. And I'm look, I agree. I think it's 400 Eyes where it's Pincho telling the story for 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yes, that's a weaker episode. As I say, all of the seven partners are in my top 20. Whether it's the case of they, they, they know they're seven partners and so try extra hard hard to find the extra depth in the story mm. i don't know mm. but i I'm, i know what you're saying mark about we're used to quick and easy stories but when you tell a long story right mm. it, it can work i think with marco polo it was trying to convey a, the, the a length, voyage the length you know the journey. a journey yeah. and i think it does give that room to i don't remember i think doc Hume was watching it and said it was it's, it's not often i disagree with doc Hume, but on this occasion i do violently and i've actually booked my ticket to go to london and find him and tell him he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, change your address, Doc. You're in trouble. Number two. Next one, Dave. Is The Seeds of Death, which oh. I actually think is a very good story. It's arguably arguably the best of the Ice Warriors stories. Maybe Fighting with Curse of Peladon there. Certainly, it's better than the Ice Warriors or yeah. the one that we won't talk about, Mark. <laughs> 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 but The Seeds of Death, again, it takes a long time to get places. And I get that... This was done in 1969 when people actually were going to the moon and we were used to the fact that it was a long distance and it took time and they're trying to reflect that and kudos to them for doing it. But it, it does delay the story a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of pottering about. There's a lot of breaking the team out to fix it again, to break it, to fix it again. I think that it's a good story that if it was compacted down to four episodes would be a great story. Well, I think I think now a lot of the space travel stuff would be cut. I mean, if you think about something like 2001, when that was released, I mean, space travel was new and it was exciting and mm. it was... And you watch this that whole sequence where they're, where they're on the shuttle and then they're getting to the space station then they transfer and yes. all of that. Yep. You, you would do that in about two minutes now, if that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's this great extended sequence and look, it's really technically well done yeah. and everything, but the story really stops for, for that... 10 minutes or so while that sequence is running. And now because, again, as I said, because at the time space travel was exciting and innovative and it was, you know, something that, I mean, look, it's, it's still something that nobody really expe- gets to experience, but we're all sort of inured to it, Yeah, I think, now. Yeah. Okay. Mark, you're number two. It was actually a bit of a, a choice between the faceless ones or the story mm-hmm. you mentioned before was the Ice Warriors, but then again, the Ice Warriors could actually be, can, could be cut down to you know, just two episodes, to be perfectly honest. The Ice Warriors can be done in two sentences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, which is, instead of having five episodes wondering whether or not the Ice Warriors have a nuclear reactor, and then saying, bugger it, we'll take the chance, just cut straight to taking the chance, yes. <laughs> and you cut five episodes. Yes, well, that, that actually was my... That, that's actually my snap, because it was the Ice Warriors I went for. Yeah. Um, it was a trout on my list because 
the thing I found with the Ice Warriors is you take the two episodes, missing episodes out, and the story actually doesn't make any difference. <laughs> no, right? yeah. so, no, no. I actually selected the actual the faceless ones in the end. Oh, very good. Because the faceless ones is actually, in my opinion, the forgotten trail. Yeah, in yeah. that in that se- it's season four has been you know decimated, and there is you know it's all about all the Cybermen and and, and the power of the Daleks. But faceless ones, I think, if you can cut out the interminable. Uh, airport scenes, get it? Interminable? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, if you cut, cut out all that... Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Uh, reduce that down to 15 minutes in the first episode and then actually bring out the plight of the chameleons because it's sort of... It's touched upon, but it's not really the horror these guys have gone through. Guys, aliens. Yeah. And they're in this situation and, and now obviously their actions, what they're doing now to try and rede- you know, to reclaim some sort of identity. Yeah. It's done very, very, really underwhelming. It, you know it, what I mean? It, like, it, you're well into part four yeah. before you actually get to the alien space station. Yeah. And that's when the plot moves. Kicks off. Mm-hmm. So yeah. a, a, again, because we're missing part two, it actually kind of works okay. But if you were watching part one, two, three is the cliffhanger where the passengers on the plane disappear. Yeah. And then during four, they finally get to the alien space station. Yeah. That would actually be quite a wait. So I think I agree with you. Because yeah. the ideas in it are really good. It's great. And yeah. the writing's good. The cast is really good. It's fantastic, yeah. But I think the existing episodes we've got are both set in an airport. We'd like to see maybe one on an airport and maybe one on the chameleon ship. So, mm. yeah, I think definitely Faces Ones is, is the forgotten Trenton, in my uh, humble opinion. Well, I had I had Ice Warriors. Yeah. Um, so I'll go to my backup one, which is the Mutants. Now, <laughs> no, well, the reason I chose the Mutants, actually, because the problem with the Mutants isn't that it's six episodes. Uh, the reason I chose the Mutants is just because it's less to sit through. But, uh, <laughs> the, the problem with the Mutants is the Mutants. So. Yeah, yeah, the Mutants has... Far bigger problems than the fact it's six parts. Yeah. Okay. The concepts are quite good. Mm. Okay, let's move on. And, and, and it's got Lobot in it. Oh, yeah. Rob, what's... Eric, oh. Stop, Zee. But words are just words. Oh. Blake 7 reference, tick. Yes, yes. yes. Rob, your number two. Um, my number two is Enemy of the World. Ooh. Good call. I, I mean, obviously the only episode that existed for a great deal of time, well existed in our hands um, was episode 3 isn't it mm, where yes. it's basically in the caravan for a great or in the and, and the security corridor yeah that yeah. sort of thing and I think you could lose you basically lose that and anything that was useful you could hive off to some other other part yeah um, The and doing that allows you to obviously to tighten the story which is a very good story anyway but well, I think anyway um, but it also the, the, the stuff in the bunker yes. is almost a bit like an afterthought yes it's sort of introduced really late it's far too late in the story yes yeah. and then it's it's truncated like that and you lose a lot of the impact so the you, you could allow uh, you could go you know you could go to that earlier and build that up a bit more which I believe the Ian Martha novelisation actually does that builds on that world far far more and I think that when I saw Enemy mm-hmm. for the first time I was quite shocked that it was so truncated and so much an afterthought so I really like that call mm. yeah. oh, last entry date what have you got there I, I went for the Sea Devils which is a really good story I yeah. really like it but I think this is one I can vividly remember the first time I saw this on video mm. it really dragged and some of the stuff with the Navy particularly look it's really nice that they got the Royal Navy to do it but there's a lot of just um dull stuff there there's a lot of stuff in part four i think it is with a diving bell which you could cut there's a lot of just waffle between captain hart and uh, colonel trenchard i think that cut down this would be an epically good story this would be an out and out classic story Mm. it doesn't sit well at six parts it is padded this is one that i think would be brilliant as four parts can i just ask yep the the idea of having 
six parters is that purely a budgetary thing? Yes, yes I believe absolutely. so. Yeah, yeah. if you're late, it was they they would be rather spend the money uh, doing longer stories because it meant they could spend more money technically per story than having to rehire cast, make new sets. Okay. Um, over a short, yeah. So you, you, have, you could have five sets of really good sets mm. rather than say seven sets of mediocre sets. Okay, fair enough. And mediocre so, stories. <laughs> Mark, your number one. My uh, my number one is Invasion of Time, which is probably not going to be a surprise to anybody. No, really. it's a surprise to me because I reckon that makes use of the six parts really well. Really? Because oh. you've actually got a four-parter and a two-parter, yeah. like Seeds of Doom, like Talons of Wen Chiang. I but, think you can compress it. Quite yeah, well. I was going to say I but, would have thought you could have cut quite a bit the, the out of the, the first part. Well, yeah. out of the first part, you could probably easily lose an episode out of the first bit. Yeah, and you could easily lose an episode out of the out of the last two. I well, think. Yeah. this is the first that I've disagreed with you guys on. I think it actually makes uh, good use of the six parts. Yeah, the things you can remove quite nicely. Yeah. Most of them, you know what I mean, and the the outside stuff and the uh, shibogans, 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 or shibogans. Yeah. No, no, the outsiders, the outsiders, or the banana ramas, what they call. And uh, you can gay, cut... gay waterhouses, people. Yes, yes, the jockeys. <laughs> 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 yeah, cut some of the jockeys out. Uh, the Vardens, obviously, you know, set them up and then let them bake a foil out of there. Uh, another question I have about with invasion of time is this the first. End of season blockbuster that the classic series tried to do, you think? Ooh. Well, they, they certainly said that they were going for a more Star Wars you feel, particularly yeah. the way the yeah. space stuff was I done. I mean, I guess so if you did prune some of the material out of it, maybe that would actually allow you to write a proper romance for uh, Leela and Antrim. In conditions of war, people are naturally drawn to each other. It's sex and death. Sex so, and so death. you reckon what actually happened was as soon as the doctor leaves, like a few weeks later, she just does a. Well, I think the next morning she wakes up and goes, What the hell am I doing here? Who is this person? And then what does she do? Uh, she fights uh, in the time war <laughs> <laughs> to get away from him. She plays a game like No, that's right. Interestingly enough, we actually talked a long time ago when we were in the club here about the fact that a lot of these episodes were shown originally one at a time. Mm. And because, particularly in the Tom Baker era, stories were more often than not four parts. We didn't have a program guide to tell us what was six and what was four. Something like Invasion of Time, a lot of people were genuinely thrown by the cliffhanger, thinking, oh, right, the, the, the story has been wrapped up. He's defeated the Vardens, the Doctor's given the big speech, and then the Sontarans come in. I, I remember that's I a big was deal. the first time I saw it. It's probably about an eight-year, eight or nine-year-old. Um, the flip side being, I know somebody that saw the Talons of Wing Chiang for the first time, and yes. at the end of part four, where uh, Lightfoot's knocked out and Greel is... Run and um, Mr. Cena going away in the carriage with the time cabinet on the back laughing, he actually thought, wow, the Doctor lost this one. The bad guy's got the time cabinet, he's pissed off, the Doctor's yeah. failed, and what, isn't that an amazing yeah, twist ending? Yeah, because he, he saw it, I, I know, I remember that, because I think the other thing was also he'd seen it in the States, and I don't think the PBS station that he had either didn't show the next two episodes or showed them at a different time in the day, so of course... <laughs> and he was just, what is that it? Wow! Yeah. Because <laughs> in the US, he used to edit, edit them together as big movies, didn't they? Yeah, so, well, yeah. Thing, you know, I'm showing them as episodes, but I, I think they either didn't scream five and six, or they showed them, they changed their scheduling and didn't show them at the same time the next day. And they went straight into another story. Did Max Hegdrum break in? <laughs> actually, that was during Horror Fang. Oh, Horror Fang Rock, yeah, it's yeah. freaky. It's actually the the sad around. thing was, I watched the Max Hegdrum clip, and then I saw the split second of Horror Fang Rock, and it's like, Horror Fang Rock! <laughs> and the dudes I was watching with at work have just sort of gone, What? <laughs> <laughs> and the vocals like, <laughs> It's really weird. It's like, I, I like Horror Fang Rock. I like to watch it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see if we can get back to some consensus. Richard, what's your number one? I actually went for the Armageddon Factor. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> easy, easy choice. Yes, it was. It was an easy pick. But there's a lot of running around in that. Yeah. It's. I mean, look, it has other issues too. I mean, it's, it's painfully obvious we're at the end of the season and there's no money left. Yeah. Um, it, it, it has, as I said, the, and the length really just, just extends the suffering. Really. Richard, Richard, it's not the length, it's the girth. <laughs> <laughs> Would it... So, so do you generally think Armageddon Factor would be a good story at four parts? No. Well, you see, I, I, I think if you were to cut it, cut it right down, and you had more money, I think you yeah. probably, in much the same way that I think Horns of Diamond actually would be a really good story if you, if the cast took it seriously and they had a, probably a bit oh, more. Horns time. of Diamond's a great script. Oh, um, it's a fantastic script. It's a fantastic script. Production. Where, where else in Doctor Who? Do you actually get to see a planet? A <laughs> well, uh, yes, uh, time um, monster yes. and and mind robber. So, yes, yeah. so and, quite a bit. Um, what's that? What, Matt Smith one? Yeah, and the other and the Capita Capaldi. Where there's heaps of minotaurs in Doctor Who. Oh, yes. Where else do you actually get to see a planet where the alien invasion has been successful and the population has been wiped out, like on Krynoth? That is an incredibly dark concept for season 17 especially mm. yeah. that, that whole side plot where Romana goes to basically a destroyed world now imagine doing that concept today with modern budget that would be brilliant mm. and the script's clever I love the Horns of Nymon just the execution you know and they're just taking it the piss out of it yeah you know and I think if they actually, if they actually put that in say maybe season 15 Earlier, if the, the time might be 15, off, 15 actually, I think it'd be a good home for that. Yeah, mm. get rid of Underworld and bung that in, or, or Invisible Enemy. Ah. All right, but yeah, I'm getting factor. I think we can all get behind it being too long. Um, I think all you need to sum that up is fire, <laughs> fire, <laughs> fire, yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Rob finishes up with your number one. Oh. I can't remember watching the Armageddon Factor, but then I haven't watched it. Oh, let's put it on. We should put it on. But I don't have the key to time box set because um, it's a lot of money. You need to get it because it's running out. And it's a great season. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm actually looking at going to Castle Grac over um, my holiday. My selection is, it's a little bit like shooting Bambi, no matter how much fun (laughs) that might be. Planet of the Spiders. And it's an obvious one. Look. The car chase is obviously... I mean, not clearly. No, go. the car chase is wonderful. No, it's too long. It's a celebration. Oh, I love no. it. Why does the spider not just teleporting right at the start? <laughs> <laughs> so basically the story lasts 15 minutes. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, yeah, go on. No, uh, oh, look. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It, my reference to Bambi is because it's Pertwee's last story, obviously, and you want to celebrate that in a sense, and the car chases and all that sort of thing. Yes. But in purely story terms, there's a whole lot of flab that can just go. If you just want to have a story about the spiders manipulating people and then the Doctor's final confrontation on um, Metabellus 3, then you don't need all that. You just chop it out and mm-hmm. you just go for you know the drama as much as you can. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to semi-agree with you. I think that there is stuff to cut, although I do love the Planet of the Spiders. I think it's a wonderful celebration of the era. Uh, if I was to cut anything, it actually wouldn't be the car chase. So I think that's a lot of fun. It would be the Doctor malingering in bed for half an episode, with with, with some very bad acting villagers. Oh yeah, no, that's it. true. That's a, I mean, you can't save the production from the fact that the the, the, the Melabellus three stuff is pretty poor. The acting there is pretty poor. Yeah, but um, yeah, that's my uh, number one. That's too good for them. There you go. Yeah. Well, it's nice to know though that. Although we've all agreed on some that could be cut, there's still a lot of love for those stories here. Isn't yeah. there? Absolutely. Yeah. We, we actually do love Doctor Who. We do. 
So, so would Monster of Peladon? No. Good no. No. <laughs> no redeeming features. Only, none. No. I actually have tried watching Monster of Peladon starting at part four, and it's still tedious. It's I, am, I am a big fan of Pexit. I guess if you're talking about the extended car chase, there's that, that uh, Invasion of the Dinosaurs, there's, there's that whole sequence where he's being chased around London by the military. No, sorry. You are not attacking Invasion of the Dinosaurs. That is a classic, and nothing needs to be cut. Mark I agree. Up. I totally agree. It's one of the best pervies. It is definitely one of the best pervies. It's up there with Silurians, yeah. Inferno. Um, it is a... Oh, it's not. A, come on, it's not as close as two. Oh, it's not. It, it's it's probably it's in the top three script. or four. Hot best script. You, you want to jump in here somewhere? Or... <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say it's the best. I think it's brilliant. It's an amazingly good script. It's a brilliant script. And even the look, the dinosaurs are much maligned. Look, the pterodactyl is. Let him go. Yeah, <laughs> the ter- Richard and I will just uh, sit no, back here and sit back. The, 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 while the you go through your invasion of the dinosaurs, love, we're just going to kick back for a minute. You yeah. do that. Yeah. The the, the pterodactyl is weak, and Tyrannosaurus the weak. the pterodactyl is occasionally weak, but when it when it looms over the doctor at the end of part two, it's good. Yes. When it smashes through the wall in part four, no, when it smashes through the wall, I love that effect. Yeah. The Stegosaurus is fine. The Brontosaurus is fine. The Triceratops is fine. It's really only the Pterodactyl and a couple of Tyrannosaurus shots that are terrible. It is a great, brilliant story. I have, I cannot and express it enough love. Fantastic. Written, uh, read by Martin Jarvis. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant book. Yeah. It's definitely the highlight of season eleven for me. Oh, it's the hi- highlight of basically everything really? after season yeah. seven. There's, wow. there's there's season seven, brilliant. Then there's and all of average stories and Invasion of the Dinosaurs is brilliant. Uh, are you saying that seasons 8, 9 and 10 are indifferent, middling? <laughs> there's a lot of up and down in those seasons. There's some good stories, there's some weak stories, there's some very good stories, there's some very bad stories. So give us one very good story from that era, from those three years. Uh, terribly Autons. Okay. Day of the Daleks? Yeah, Day of the Daleks isn't bad. Pel- oh, I like Curse of Peladon. I think that's not bad. Uh, Mind of Evil's okay. Sea Devils is good. Sea Devils is good. It could be four parts. Absolutely. Well, I was going to say, considering you've just said it should be kept yeah. two episodes, can't um, it? Green Death? Oh, yeah, Green Death. Green Death. Green Death. Yeah, Frontier Green in Death. Space. Season 10 is actually not bad. Yeah, Season 10 is actually season not bad. Season 10 is actually not bad. Um, well, it's very consistent. I, th- I think Carnival of Monsters. Carnival of yeah, Monsters oh, is... Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's not yeah, bad. it's really good. Season 10. Um, yeah, Season 10 actually is pretty good. It yeah, sounds like it's really actually all good those three middle three years. <laughs> <laughs> no, the season so, so really But no, but no. this is the problem with Pertwee. You have got a lot of really good stories, and I think we just listed most of them. Mm. In the middle, though, you've got the mutants. Yeah. You've got the time monster. Colony in space. Colony in space, I don't mind, but it's not great. No. Uh, but you, I mean, Monster Peladon comes off, obviously, in season 11. There's really... It, it, its lows are very low in the Pertwee era. Yeah, I, well, I think. Welcome, welcome to the John Pertwee hour of uh, forty-two to do so. Well, no, look to make to make the general point. I think that what Let's did was they raised the highs of Doctor Who a little bit further, but it took Hinchcliffe and Holmes to bring the lows up. Mm. So Let's and Dick still have very hot, big highs and very low lows. Hinchcliffe actually has consistent consistent yeah. highs. Like Hinchcliffe's lows are what Planet of Evil. Or Android, 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 but they're not that bad invasion. though. Like, they're not, not that bad. That's right. Yeah, that's right. If the worst story you do is Planet of Evil or Android Invasion, you've got a pretty good run rate. And is that purely because of the writers that uh, Letts and, and Dix have at their disposal versus what Hinchcliffe and Holmes? Because you look Bob Baker and Martin. Look, I don't think they're very good writers. They are through the Pertwee era, aren't they? Maybe Holmes is a better script editor. Yeah, but you can only polish a well, turd so far. Oh well, I think I think Holmes was perhaps more inclined just to go. Look, this just isn't working at all. I'll write it myself. I'll write it. Yeah, yeah. Terence kept persisting. 
Mm. Mm. And, and I think also the money was, was there as well. That, that helped. Mm. And, and just every producer has seen the highs and lows of the previous eras. Let's and Dicks didn't have a lot to go on. Whereas Hinchcliffe and Holmes, particularly Holmes, who'd been working right through since the Troughton era, mm. really knew by that stage what worked and what didn't. Mm. Mm. So, six parters reduced to four. Done, I think. Done, yes. yes. This is a definitive I think, discussion. I think so. Any yeah. podcast that attempts to uh, you know, ride on our coattails, uh, just not doing it right. So. And we'll send the lawyers around. Richard, you've been reading, uh, I think it's the Daily Mirror online, is that right? Uh, well, did, did, I didn't know you were a UKIP voter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I read the I read the article. I think as we all did. And this is the article about um, Peter Capaldi uh, about they, how they BBC allegedly want to revamp the series, cast a new, young, and exciting doctor mm-hmm. uh, to give the series the, the kick up the seat of the pants that it needs to bring the viewers back to get the merchandise sales happening again, and and restore that love for the series. And uh, what did you think of this uh, thesis? Well, I mean, those those sort of articles. I mean, clickbait, you could, you could, they? They, they're clickbait. Yeah. I mean, you could you could write anything, let's face it, and say that the the sources in the production team have told you that this is what's happening. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the general idea, though? I, I, look, I mean, you could see, I guess, and when we discussed this, I mean, we we came up with you could see how you could argue that that is true. Because, I mean, we were all talking last year, for those of you who watched it, um, about how poor the ratings were and people were allegedly concerned, quite concerned about the ratings last year in Britain. And, and there was sort of that, you know, Peter Capaldi's an older gentleman. He's not young and hot and sexy. Um, and I definitely think the merchandise sales have, uh, have, have tapered off. But how much tack can you buy? This is the thing. Have, have, have the merchandise sales tapered off because viewership's tapered off? Or is it just a case of... There's only so much things you can put the Doctor Who logo on and sell, or is it genuinely that David Tennant sold merchandise? Or is it because the show's ten years old now? Um, well, that's the thing I was going to say because I think it's potentially a mixture. I mean, look, we all, and, and it's been made numerous times by anybody who you care to listen to, that, that David Tennant really was the... The, the hotness? When, yeah, and when he came in, that's when the show had its big explosion of popularity. Yeah, the, the Tom Baker of the new season. Yeah, and, 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 and probably even more that you got, you know, you got the, the, the female fans who necess- may not necessarily, or fans who weren't necessarily uh, Doctor Who fans, but they were David Tennant fans. And, and look, you could stereotype it and say, look, it's, it's you know younger female viewers, but... Um, I, I think it was across the board. The people who were fans of David Tennant came on and, and watched Doctor Who because he was the Doctor. I'll just on that point, does Tennant only really work because he's got RTD, the great populist writer, working for him? Would Tennant work under Moffat? I thought he did in Day of the Doctor. Yeah, it's easy to write it once rather than others. I think it's just one of those flashes in the pan where you get, like Hinchcliffe, Holmes, Tom, Sladen, all in one place at one time, it's lightning in a bottle. How do you capture that? And I think you're right. Tennant and RTD in one place at one time was just a, a click that really worked. I don't think that it would necessarily work if the combination was slightly different. Mm. You can't rehead a souffle. Mm. So, well, would you rehead a souffle? Well, it goes all slugging. Yeah, so I guess <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, thank you for that visual analogy. <laughs> and so, audio analogy too. So I guess you have that big explosion of merchandise, and and you're right. There there is a limit to what 
stuff you can stick a logo on and have it sell. A lot of the big merchandise lines have been done. I mean, you did they did the huge range of action figures mm. and there was heaps of them and they went into the Matt Smith era. And toy lines have a definite shelf life. I mean, it happens with every toy line. You get to a point where, you know, people move on and they're not interested in buying pieces of plastic moulded into pleasing shapes. Um, oh, I don't know. I think you underestimate the market. Well, they, no, I, th- there's always new, but yeah. toy, toy lines have a definite life. I mean, look, well, even I, just for the record, I wasn't talking about Doctor Who. <laughs> um, no, look, I agree, but but you, uh, but again, the the there are a limited number of people who will buy everything that are collector, yes. collectors. Yes. So when you look at something like Sonic Screwdrivers, I mean, we all know that bloody Sonic Screwdriver, aka the Magic Wand. They give us a new one every couple of episodes, it seems like, these days, because they can sell a new one. Now, yes, we all know people, hopefully no one in this room, who will buy every Sonic Screwdriver variety so they've got the set. Most people, particularly kids, will have one, Mm -hmm. and that's the one they have. Yep, and I mean, look, older fans will probably buy the one for their favourite doctor. Yeah. Um, potentially, or, or that you get the John Pertwee one because it makes different noises. Given what you've said about perhaps the BBC wanting to rejuvenate their merchandise, is that even going to work with the new... If you say that it's all played out, what is the point then of having a new young Doctor Who? Well, that's, to... that's the thing, because I, I suppose a new look at even a merchandising juggernaut like Star Wars, which, let's face it, would blow Doctor Who out of the water in any measure... Um, none of those toy lines, if you're talking specifically about toys, none of the Star Wars toys lines have managed more than five or six years. Um, the, the original toy line and it was a huge seller and it put Kenner on the map and it was a massive thing. And they even were big enough, Star Wars was big enough that you had to the first 12 months of Star Wars being released and there, were no, there was no merchandise, no toys, no nothing. And parents in America actually gave their kids an empty cardboard box yes. for Christmas with the promise that they would get some figures sometime in the new year. Um, uh-huh. Jeez, yeah, that cruelty, it? <laughs> but but that's the thing, and that's how exciting Star Wars was in those days. But that line was completely tapped out by the end of by about a year after the release of, of um, Return of the Jedi. That, yeah, they're that in bargain was, bins, weren't they? Yeah, they're in bargain bins, and they had to repackage all the figures they had couldn't get rid of with yeah. those coins to, to, to try and yeah. flog another six months out. Yeah. But um, but you had the toys, and. They even released classic series toys, which were, you know, the toys you've been waiting 45 years for. And that one died after two, two waves. And, and every single uh, classic series toy release since then has been all through specialty shops. Because so, they're the only ones willing to pony up the money to actually put <coughs> it into production. They've done trading cards. They've been and gone. They've done the top trump cards. They keep trying to reflog them, but again, they've been and gone. They've done all the sticker logo crap on it. That's all been and gone. Um, so but, you but, are... But, it, it, to stop you there, on that particular point about stick a logo on it, to your point, Rob, if you got a new doctor who created a new buzz or wave of excitement, a new group of fans, mm. and you put their photo on it, is that going to give a new... Like, well, though, like if, if they're brand new fans who haven't bought the last 10 years of TAT, are they going to want a new a TAT just for them? Um, you'll find... I, I expect you'd find you'd get a swing, but see, the ones who come along with the new doctor... Potentially, I've already had all these. I'm not interested in these. I mean, you're well, even well, getting... no, if, they, if they're, say, a 13-year-old who discovers Doctor Who for the first time... Oh, for time. sure. As I said, your new fans will probably jump on board. But the problem is, you've, of course, got all these other 10 years' worth of fans that the show's yeah, picked up, yeah, okay. plus all the ones from the early days, who potentially are not going to jump back on board just because there's a new set of cards um, or because there's a new set of really shiny things with, with the new Doctor's logo all over it. If you're a jaded fan... Um, so you're in... I mean, but, but I guess the, the, the point of the article 
is that they don't want to reinvigorate or re-engage the jaded fans. They want to find the next generation of fans and they want to find a tenant-like person who's going to get people who haven't watched Doctor Who before watching for that person. But but then how do you... uh, I I don't see that you're going to suddenly just resurrect your entire merchandising line on, on, a, on a new group of fans who come No, but the, for the BBC, all you want to do is sell the licence. But, but again, if you're a toy marketer or a book marketer or uh, anything, why would you pay for a, for a 10-year-old licence that now, that, that you potentially have had before, yeah. have had a, done a line of stuff for, it's petered out and you've moved on from it, why would you then want to revisit that licence again? Because you, you've you've had you paid your money, you've milked that license for as much as you can. Well, I, I guess what the BBC would argue, and and we're basing this all on one article on spurious mm. British tabloid. Let's be honest, but they would argue if there was a definitive upswing in the ratings, so another say two million viewers were added to the viewing figures, then maybe a merchandiser would go, okay, there's but then the, million, the market, well, the market. I mean, I, we're concentrating on merchandise, but I mean, two million viewers. Let's be honest, two million people aren't going to suddenly go out and buy a new Sonic Screwdriver toy just because the new Doctor has it. I mean, only a small percentage of sure. that two million. Sure. And you then get into the argument, is that enough to justify opening up your Doctor Who production again? Because given you've closed everything down, paying for moulds, and if we're talking about toys, moulds are... Um, that's, and that's why, just for a thing, if you ever look at um, pro, um, prototype toys... Very often, if the toys get to the prototype and tooling stage, they will release them because they've spent the money on the moulds and they've spent the money on the tooling and everything. So they have to recoup that cost by actually releasing the toys. And that's why you either get the mock-up ones or you actually get the toy going into production. You don't generally get stuff in the middle. I guess the the, the point, though, from the BBC's point of view is if the viewing figures continue to decline, they definitely won't sell any more merchandise. If the viewing clip figures do get a new surge or a new group of fans in, yeah. there's at least some possibility of some merchandise, mm. which I, is better than no possibility. I mean, I guess the thing is, though, we're concentrating on merchandise. I mean, do, do you think... I mean, if you were to say Peter Capaldi says he's going tomorrow, do we think that a casting a new, young, hip, sexy doctor is, is going to suddenly give the show this whole, hey, kids, it's Doctor Who? I would say initially, yes. I think you saw that with... Um Deep breath. I think there was a the ratings for that were higher than mm. previously, and then it sort of trailed away. I think if the BBC expects that they're going to get a ratings bonanza ten or eleven years into the run with mm. a new Doctor, regardless of you know who he is, Eddie Redmayne or whatever, I think that's cloud cuckoo land well, stuff. That's... I don't think that you can in this television environment where it's so splintered, it's just not going to happen. No. I guess the argument again is. You have to at least try. Oh no, I agree. You, I mean, you can't and, and if you go and, and and to take it to the next level, sorry to interrupt you, but to take it to the next level, if you're going to try for the ratings upswing, the David Tennant model is, I think, a very reasonable one to hmm. try. Yes, and emulate. But I guess if we've then just said he was capturing lightning in a bottle. How likely are you to do that a second time? I well, mean, well, you, you, well, you're not likely at all if you don't try. No, yeah. it's true. But I mean, unless let's be honest, I mean, we're now at a point where Doctor Who is now, with the series been back for, what now, 11 years, and we're about to go into our 10th season. So in TV terms and in merchandising terms and all that sort of stuff, this is a mature show. Mm. Um, and you look at a lot of shows, you sort of, most shows, when they get to around eight, seven, eight, you start to get that this is getting tired, this needs a rest, this needs a revamp, this needs a whatever. I mean, there aren't many shows these days that get to 10 seasons. No. Should the BBC, at this point in the show's run, be concentrating on... 
um, not necessarily merchandise sales, which will, the basic which will come whether regardless, or should they be looking at how do we set this show up for the next three to five years? Who do we get in to ensure that well, it well, has longevity and we can still sell it around the world, etc., etc., etc.? Well, well, they go hand in glove, surely. Mm. Yeah. Right. Whether the tail wags the dog or the dog wags the tail, yeah. the two go hand in glove, surely. Just to, mix, just to mix my metaphors there. Yeah, no, please do. you to be new showrunner, new doctor, do, do more accessible you, stories. Do you think there'll be a new doctor? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. But we're now in, we're now in what, the second recording block, I think, of this next season. So if he is going at the end of this coming season, they're either going to have to announce that very soon, you would think. Not necessarily. I mean, they can, you know... Sign this person up and they make an announcement close at the time. At time. But given the fact that the BBC leaks even worse than the well, Sith. A, 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 it leaks, and B, I mean, it's, it's probably a big thing that casting, I mean, it's still probably a big thing that you're casting a new doctor. Yeah, yeah there, there, there's a lot of headlines you can get from. Do you want to have the headlines today or do you want to have the headlines in six months' time? Well, well no, you, you have six months' worth. Well, because you look at what they've done every other time. Yeah, you want to milk that for yeah. all. Again, if we're talking about revitalising the series, you would want to be milking the new doctor. So for you have the headline that you have the headline that the Capaldi's going. You have the headline that they're looking at casting. And then you, you have all, all you, the crap you, about who's going to be, yep. who's the bookie's favourite, who do you want for the that, doctor. And then you do the, the announcement. So okay. there, there is a tried and tested formula. Like, let's face it, going right back to John Nathan Turner's time, there's a tried and tested formula. So I, you would think on that basis, if he Peter Capaldi is going at the end of this season, you would think they would have to announce that reasonably soon. The other thing would be is they're doing... Stephen Moffat's doing next year's Christmas special now unless you're going to regenerate him in that and that doesn't make sense because you're going to do start doing the pre-production and the filming for season 11 presumably in the latter part of next year so you're not really going to get your new doctor in for a bit get peter capaldi back for a christmas special um and then bring your new doctor back to do so you think the, the, the second well, half so you want to debut your new you, doctor you, at christmas do you think you, well, didn't they do that with um smith with tenant. Particularly if the showrunner's leaving, the, surely the showrunner's last act is to regenerate the Doctor. No, they did. They and the new showrunner's first act is to write their first episode. So Smith was um, exited for the Christmas special, didn't he? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. But then Tenant arrived for the Christmas special. But but uh, but Tenant was uh, RTD was both excellent Tenant though. So if we're talking about a change of script and script oh, runner, okay. that's the thing. If I mean, we're talking about a change of showrunner and Doctor, team. yeah. So so presumably the production team and Capaldi goes out at the end of the Christmas special. Yep. The last scene is the regeneration of whoever Chip will cast. But the thing is, if you're, if you're starting to film, if you're following the filming model for this year, they'll have already started filming season 11 by then. So either the next plan is there's actually going to be no season, you're going to go in the latter part of 2018 for Chip first season. So you actually exit him in the Christmas special and then you just get a clean slate. We're going to start filming in 2000, early 2018. Look, it, make, look it makes sense that everyone... Exits. Moffat goes. Well, that's the goes. Thing. I personally don't. I don't want to see Capaldi go because no, I think, no, I agree. I think that uh, he would benefit a great deal by having a completely new mm. script uh, or showrunner. But I don't know that that's going to happen. But and, and whilst sad old fans like us really like Peter Capaldi coming back to the, again the point of the article. I thought he was a great choice and I must admit I was really excited when he was cast I mean it's probably got something to do with the fact that I haven't watched very much of his era should get you on the couch at one point but, <laughs> um, I, I can't honestly say I've had the, the I mean I, like I had with I mean Chris Rex was obviously Dalek where 
we sort of sat through the first five episodes, then we get into the second recording block, and Dalek and you just think, wow, we watched that first yeah, 10, 15 the, the, the show is back. I love this guy. Yeah, this guy is this guy is really good. Um, whereas I can say probably with Tennant and with Matt Smith, I, I sort of had to connect actually the moment where, actually, this guy's pretty good. I mean, Matt Smith was of all things in The Beast Below. was my connect moment with him. Well, I had two. I had one in the, the 11th hour where everyone's looking up at the sky and he's actually more interested in tracking Rory. Um, who's the only one not looking and why? why. Um, and the thing with the beast below was it's the scene where the little girl's sitting on the bench crying mm-hmm. um, and he sits here and deconstructs why why she's crying. And I actually watched that and I thought, actually, this, this is really good. This guy's actually really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't really like the rest of the beast below, but I thought that little moment was actually quite good. I haven't, and, and again, it's probably because I haven't watched all of it, I haven't really had that moment with Capaldi yet, to be honest. I mean, I, well, I watched the first one. As we've said before, I watched him in Into the Dalek and I just thought, this guy's a prick. I really don't like him. I, he didn't really grab me in the other three I watched from the first season. Maybe that was because I saw them in black and white. I don't know. <laughs> Thank Can't you, Marco. Um, and the episodes, I must admit, I watched out of the last season, that I watched the first two and the last three. I can't honestly say he really blew me away in any of them, really. I mean, look, the, uh, the one in the, the castle probably was the best of those five that I watched. But he doesn't really have any lines in that. I mean, it's it's all more physical acting. Yeah. But so, Doctor has been off for a year. Why haven't you gone back and watched series eight or nine? Do you want the honest answer? Yeah, be honest. All right. The honest answer is I've actually there have been several times I've looked at it and I've walked past the the DVDs or I've walked past. I downloaded some of them and I walked past them and I thought I really should make an effort to watch these. And then I actually just thought, no, actually I'm not more interested in watching something else. Um, I've had other stuff that I've been either acquiring or buying, like I've watched, I've been through, and I know this is sort of segue this discussion, but I've, I've watched uh, both seasons of Daredevil, um, I've watched Luke Cage, mm-hmm. I've watched Jessica Jones, I'm mm-hmm. working my way through Ash vs. Evil Dead, mm-hmm. um, I've watched numerous other things, I've watched older series as well, and I, every time I look at Doctor, I just think, actually, I'm really just not interested in watching this. Um, there's, there's, there's other stuff I've got at the moment that I'd rather watch instead. And presumably the casting of a David Tennant-esque sexy young doctor wouldn't be what's needed to get you back Well, in. clearly, I mean, I got up at... Well, I was up. I was up anyway <laughs> at 4 o'clock in the morning. So, look, I might actually do the casting announcement, perhaps, <laughs> just for old time's sake. But, uh, no, that, that's the honest thing. I mean, look, the episodes I've watched... I, I can't say, look, I've sat there and just gone this... I, I've hated them. But it's always sort of been this, this. I'd actually rather watch this instead. Um, or you know I'm currently watching X I'd, I'd actually rather go and watch another episode of that than I would to, to sit through another episode of this is it more the writing or is it more him or why um, I don't know maybe I'm just a jaded old fanboy now and it's just a point again I've sort of went through because I, I haven't really I, I really haven't been dedicated to who if you want to look at it in those terms for probably four or five years now I don't think the last season I think I actually made a point of sitting and watching was the tenant season with Catherine Tate. Oh no, sorry, I, I went. I did go through the specials. Oh well, well done. You managed three episodes in twelve months. Yeah, good effort there. Top, well, see, top, that, top well, effort. Well, see, that was that was probably see that was probably about the frequency where I could just watch them and then move on. Um, do you, do you have the same issue with classic the classic series? There's been classic series I haven't watched for donkey's years. But yeah. what I'm asking is, would you prefer, if you had a choice, if you had classic series? Oh, I, I'd series. go for classic. If I, if I had a choice, I could watch this, I could watch a Matt Smith episode, or I could go back and watch a, a Philip Hinchcliffe episode. Mm. Um, oh, I'd pick the Hinchcliffe every time. Or would I'd be horror of Fang Rock by any... No, uh, no, no. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's Hinchcliffe-esque. Yes. <laughs> Has the um, new series coloured your view of the classic? 
Like, has it sort of sparked that enjoyment of the classic for you? No, not really. I mean, I, no. I do pull classic stories out. I mean, look, I don't watch a lot of Doctor Who now full stop. I mean, I, I do pull out Catholic uh, classic stories occasionally and, and chuck them on if I've got 90 minutes or whatever to do. And, and yes, I would normally go for a four-parter. Um, <laughs> a six-parter? Yeah, as, as opposed to a six or a seven-parter. The last of the new series ones I probably made a point of watching, I think, was the, the Tenant Specials or the Matt Smith his first season I, I sort of lost my way with his first season because it was on around the time my daughter was born and I, I do remember watching a couple of them sort of in that fog of no sleep just after she came <laughs> home from the hospital um, you know and I remember going to sleep I think a couple of times trying about three or four times to watch Amy's Choice before I finally got through it you know doing it you know sitting up with my wife doing a 2am feed or whatever mm. <laughs> yeah. trying, trying to lend that moral support but I then sort of got into the, some of the Matt Smith stuff and I went back and I rewatched them and I just thought, look, these are just... I just don't like these, basically. I don't really like the story writing. I don't like the huge, this Doctor's most important thing in the whole universe. Yeah. I don't really like what they're doing with the companions. Um, I didn't like Amy Pond. I didn't like Clara. Um, I did try again with Smith's second season and I think I got to about Let's Kill Hitler or A Good Man Goes to War somewhere in there. Let's Kill Hitler will break most people. So. Um, well, I think it was actually Good Man Goes to War, I think was the one. Because the whole baby snatching thing was just like, oh, for God's sake. Yeah. Um, but you really. see, so it's a you say that because I sympathise with you, but I feel like I've come out the other side. And and I've, I've, I've talked about it before on a different podcast uh, as an email um, I saw Smith's first season as... So if I put this in relationship terms, Smith's first season for me was, okay, where's this relationship going? Six for me was, it's time to break up. And first of all, I think the first time I ever didn't watch another a Doctor Who episode was the... What was that two-parter? Um, the... The green one? No, no, the, um, the one with the gel stuff. The, uh, um, oh, the, yeah, the Rebel one. Flesh. And the the Rebel people. Flesh. The... Uh, uh, after part one of The Rebel Flesh, I did not watch part two. That's the first time that it happened. I then brought myself back to A Good Man Goes to War and I just didn't want to watch it. There was a break. I gave it another chance and that other chance was Let's Kill Hitler. Oh, and I've just gone, no, yeah, that's that, it. That, that broke me. Yeah, that broke me. And I think that's right. It's time to break up. We then got into the anniversary year. I watched Smith's final season and it was like, okay, I, I can kind of remember why I like this. Let's go back. Then Capaldi hit get past his first couple of episodes, and I was like, no, no, I remember why I like this show, and I've really enjoyed Capaldi's two years. Yes. But I, I confess, Smith's middle year absolutely broke me. Let's Kill Hitler completely broke me, but I came out the other side. Yeah, so I, maybe, I have, maybe I just haven't forced myself to go through them, because I did sort of go back and try to rewatch them, and I just thought the second half, of, I just, I'm just not enjoying this, really. I hated Let's Kill Hitler. Um, I'm sorry to anyone who really likes it. I just... I really it took me a couple of goes to watch to get through it. And look, I, I actually went back over that next summer and sort of at a rate about one a month I'll just put one on. Yeah. Just just to see what they'll like. and I, I hated everything in that second um, heart of of, of season six. Yeah. It just it shattered me. See, season, but I've come out the other side. I was going to say, see, for me, season seven probably was a bit of an improvement because, and, and it was probably helped by the fact that we, that was when we went back and ran the club that year. And we were into the 50th anniversary. Yeah, and, and there was a and, lot of excitement. And, and we were sort of watching them. And I actually thought season seven was an improvement. I, I actually thought it got... The, there was some good stuff in the first half. Yeah, there's there um, some fun stories. I, I mean, look, it still had Amy in it, but it had Rory and he was, he was good. But... Yeah. Um, and then we sort of got Clara, and I was just—I really didn't buy into any of the Clara story. I just thought, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, clearly the intention is that she's the most importantest person ever and she's the most wonderful companion that's ever been in the whole series and that didn't work for me. No, so really, no. what are you left with? Yeah. What about you? No. You're still watching, clearly, aren't you? Well, I'm still watching. I was just thinking before while you were talking, um, would I be watching the show if I wasn't doing this podcast? And I think sometimes I'm very much a creature of habit and I probably would... But I might be, well, I suppose I'm forcing myself anyway, regardless, but I might be forcing myself more simply because of, you know, the, the fact that you're doing this. Just doing this. One of the things that's also helped me as well is that I... Therapy group? <laughs> Alcohol? <laughs> no, no, it's... Hi, it's... I'm Dave and I'm a Matt Smith fan. <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually changed my viewing habits from being, uh, uh, viewing it as a fan, which is get a copy of the episode as soon as you physically can and digesting it straight away to becoming a regular viewer. So with the last couple of seasons, I've come home on a Sunday evening. So it's straight, for those who don't know, it's shown at Sunday at 7.30 on the ABC in Australia. Which for me, it's great. You are home on a Sunday, you make dinner, I sit down, and I watch Doctor Who for an hour over dinner, then get ready for the week ahead. And that's the perfect slot for me, because I can just sit down and just watch it as a casual viewer. And, yeah. and I enjoy doing it that way. And, and I've found it easier to watch it that And way. if I probably wasn't, because I tend to find 7.30 on a Sunday night is a really shocking time for, for me to be sitting and watching it. For a, it. for a family show, it's actually the wrong time to be It is totally on. the wrong time for it to be on, because that's when you're doing... I mean, I've got two kids under 10, so it's when you're doing final stuff. Have you done your homework? Is your bag packed? Have you done your stuff for the weekend? We're going to bath, bed. Yeah. Um, so the TV is not usually and, and, and then there's that whole thing about really can I be bothered coming back and making an effort to, to, to mm. watch this and, and, and again it's, it's easier for me because I'm watching it live mm. so I don't have to make any effort I can just enjoy mm. it as a viewer and that's been a real help for me but I've, I've also liked Capaldi and I've liked most of the stories in those episodes I mean yes Death in Heaven is my least favourite Doctor Who story ever but I've actually enjoyed most of the stories I even I even think Kill the Moon's a pretty good story yeah, even more than Delta on the Bannerman uh, yes. The only reason I chose that is Del- Delta on the Bannerman, you're looking at me a bit funny, because Del- Delta on the Bannerman is the only time in the classic series I ever turned Doctor Who off. Carlos Towers is mine. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I see, I see. I thought Tom Lerone was, was shite. Um, <laughs> I thought Paradise Towers, see, when I remember watching them, because my, my uh, evolution with the series in some ways matches where the my growing up with the series. Um, in some ways, I evolved with it, because... When Tom Baker was on here, it was new and it was exciting and it was post-Star Wars. Then you move into the Davison era and I was a young teenager and, of course, you tend to get that some of your friends stop watching it. Um, it stops being really anywhere near as popular and then towards the end of the Davison era, you sort of start to get the, why are you still watching that? You know, you're still mm-hmm. watching Doctor Who. Then you move into Colin Baker and by then I was in year 10 and I had a job after school, so quite often I was watching it on video. So, um, you know, and you'd suddenly watch them. Oh, shit, I've got four I haven't watched. I better sit down over the weekend and watch them. And then McCoy came on and, and see, I'd long since stopped watching that whole afternoon TV, ABC mm-hmm. thing because I was, you know, I was out doing activities after school or I was at work after school or whatever. So I never had that whole latter 80s afternoon show experience where Doctor Who was one of the three or four shows they, they screened. And by the time McCoy came along, I was out, um, I, I left school and was, you know, in the first year out in the workforce. So, of course, I'd come home and I was still taping them because, um, look, I... I New Doctor, okay. Look, I'll give it a, uh, I'll give it a chance. Mm. Um, I didn't particularly like Trial, but I mean, I'll, I'll give a New Doctor a chance. Um, and I hated Time in the Rani. 
Um, I thought Paradise Towers was interesting and had some interesting ideas, but it it, yeah, it, it, it wasn't very well done. No. Yeah. But I remember watching Delta and the Batman. I'm just thinking, this is just crap. I didn't intend to turn this into Richard's history with, with Doctor Who. Yeah, I don't know. Look, I, I sort of always tell myself, look, I'll go back and watch them one day. And maybe, look, one day I will when I'm either retired or, or incapacitated for some reason <laughs> <laughs> or unemployed. Um, look, I... I <laughs> I may sit out of work my way. And look, I have actually talked about undertaking the long journey or the great journey through through starting at the start and going all the oh. way through. Because I figure in some ways that's the only way I'll actually watch some of them if I watch them in context and watch them as part of a... You see, I can understand doing the great journey uh, and watching seasons as a whole, but I'd want to pick and choose which season. Because there's, there's nothing worse than wanting a really light entertainment and suddenly getting the Dalek Invasion of Earth. As brilliant a story as the Dalek Invasion of Earth is, if you're not in the mood for a serious 60s drama, there's no point watching it. Any more than if you're sitting there going, I want to be really, you know, watch a brilliant, in-depth, season 7-esque story, and the next one that's due to come along is Underworld. So, so maybe what you should do is, maybe I should just get the wheel and every story's on it, and then I just give it a spin, and as, as I watch them, I should I just pull the pull the thing off so I can't choose it again. Well, no, no. <laughs> what I, what I found is, is because most seasons have got a tone. I'll sit there and go, you know, I'm, I'm really in the mood now to rediscover some Davison. So I'll pick a season of Davison and I'll watch that from start to finish. And then it might be that I go, oh, I've really enjoyed that. I now want to segue into the next Davison series, or maybe I'm in the mood for something really different. I'd like to watch some Hartnell, and I'll go back and watch a whole lot of Hartnell in one go because I'm in the mood for it. You know, mm. the key to time. If you're in the right mood for the key to time, that's a brilliant season. Hmm. If you're not in the mood for the key to time, it can perhaps seem a bit light and fluffy. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to match the story to your mood and your wanting. Hmm. And if you don't do that, I mean, there'll be nothing worse than watching a, a silly story when you're not in the mood for it, or worse, watching a serious drama when you just want to be entertained on it. I mean, Dave, Dave and I have now talked, and, and me particularly, for, for quite a while now. I mean, what about you two hosts? I mean, clearly the show's still doing enough for you that, that you want to sit... I mean, I know you bag it and you make, we all make jokes, <laughs> or you make jokes about different aspects of it, but the series is still clearly doing enough for you two that you want to keep going with it. You particularly... I mean, Rob's already sort of... I think, as Rob right? mentioned before, it, it, it's now become that habit thing, but I didn't particularly enjoy last season. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's part of apathy on my part now. I'm not too sure. But like you, I've just found other television I'm enjoying more than Doctor Who at the moment. Yeah, and that's but... sad. That's actually quite sad because it's even like to the point where I don't want to go back and touch a classic era at the moment. Oh, really? No. Yeah, so I could still watch classics. I mean, I've been watching Who for what, what's essentially now over 40 years. So mm. um, I, it, it's a part of my life. But I just, I don't know. I mean, I don't watch a lot of TV these days now anyway. Mm. But, um, no, I mean, as I said, but it's clearly obviously still hitting the, at least some of the right buttons for you. Oh, look, I think it's just habit now. And that hope that something, you know, if I don't yeah. like one episode, the next one might do something for me. Exactly. But at the moment, it seems to be more misses and hits. Okay. And, I mean, when we talk about the rejuvenation of the program, I think it needs Going massive that, amounts. Then, if it needs, it needs a rejuvenation, then what would, what would reinvigorate you? The knowledge of that... Something's happening. We're going to get a new showrunner, obviously, which I think will definitely help. Um, get somebody else to do the bloody music, for God's sakes. It's all the same. So, I, so, I like so Capaldi to stay. But is what I you're know. saying you need a leisure hive moment? Same doctor, but a complete revamp of style, tone, graphics, sound, music. But that's the superficial stuff. 
It just needs from a story perspective. Well, well, but uh, yeah. no, Legend of Hive was hardly superficial because it was a complete revamp of the entire tone and style of the, of the show, both script and production. The script. Well, sorry, sorry, season season eighteen. Rather season than, eighteen is very. All right, we're, 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 getting, we're getting bogged down to the fact that Legend of yeah. Hive isn't brilliant, but yeah. season eighteen is a complete revamp of a series. Yeah. Is that the sort much, of much think, as season seven was? Yeah, is yeah, that I the sort of thing you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I think this needs also Doctor Who magazine needs a revamp too. I don't think Doctor Who magazine can be the magazine you want it to be, or something like what Dreamwatcher DWB was, which I think is what we would buy oh, yeah. rather than DWM. Oh, yeah. well, a bit of controversy. Well, uh, look, at the end of the day, it's it all very homogenised. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I don't want it to bag the series. But if there's an episode that deserves to get a 5 out of 10, I want it to get a 5 out of 10 and read why. And even if it's an episode that I've enjoyed, and this is what I find with some of the podcasts, sometimes even if the opinions are divergent from mine, and they've liked something I've disliked or disliked something I've liked, unless it's completely in a different park, it's interesting to hear those alternate views. Mm, Whereas Doctor Who magazine, you don't feel like you ever get a different voice. No, it's, it's the always, same it's voice. It's rah rah all the time. It's the same voice. But, Whereas but, Dreamwatch, but I suppose Dreamwatch, they have to be, don't they? And that's what I'm but saying. That's it, the it, it can't be the magazine that we would want it to be because no. it needs to keep that relationship with the show. And that's fine. That's what it does. And it serves that group of fans. But to me, I would much rather. And this is, I guess, why all of us have gravitated to the podcast world over the last few years because there you are free to just say. I think this episode was brilliant. I think this episode wasn't. And we can spend half an hour ranting about why Death in Heaven was to us a completely awful episode, then chewing into the Blue Box podcast and find out actually why we're wrong. And it's the complete most brilliant episode ever. Or listen to Diddly Dumb and go, well, it's a bit of one and a bit of the other. You know, mm. this is why podcasts are good because it's an unfiltered uh, opinion that is beholden to nothing. DWM, at the end of the day, is beholden to the show in some form. Mm. It can't be the magazine you want it to be. I will end this segment. What would invigorate for you, just quickly? That's what Mark said. I don't think the modern take on Doctor Who can be reinvigorated for me. I think it, it has an ethos and an approach that is completely at variance to what I enjoy about the classic series. Mm. Um, if I want... I, look, I just don't think that... Um, I, I, like Mark, I watch it out of habit more than anything else. For years and years and years, I bought DWM, and then one day I just said, that's it for me. So I can imagine mm. myself doing the same thing with the show, that if at some point it's no longer fun, um, that's it, game over, I'll just stop watching it. And you know whether I continue with the podcast and all that for that, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, so I'm more, I must admit, so going to DWM, so I haven't bought DWM for years. Oh. No, no, me either. Once again, I'll end this topic by saying that I think with the benefit of hindsight in a number of years' time, my prediction will be that at this point in the show's history, it has entered its death spiral. That I think that in two or three years' time, the show will be off the air. Because of a trial of a time lord moment. Potentially. Because if they go into the next season, or, or not so much the next season, but the one after, Chibnall's first season. Hmm. If Chibnall's first season is like trial which is a chance to reinvigorate it, and you don't. And you don't, It, yeah. it could be the trial season. Yeah. If, however, it's, he takes the chance to do a season 7, yeah. a season 18, yeah. whatever you want to call it, or, or a season 5, yeah. uh, so a new season, season 5, then it has a chance. Yeah. I agree. If, 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 if Chibnall's first season is trial, it's just the more of the same, then any show has a natural lifespan and dies. Yeah. And the irony there is, wasn't he on junior points of view bagging Troll of a Time Lord? He was, actually. <laughs> he was. Yeah. And, uh, and on that shattering end note, we'll move on to our final topic.
So this year's been a year without Doctor Who, at least Doctor Who on screen. Yay! Oh, oh <laughs> well, we so, lighten the tone a bit after our heavy discussion a few well, minutes ago. Well, look, we had a lot of love for the series early in this podcast, but we've we've it. look. It's been a year without Doctor Who, so we were originally going to talk a bit about whether we've survived without Doctor Who. But I think the answer to that's going to be a fairly straightforward yes. Obviously, we have. I mean, it's a television show. But what we did decide to talk about was what we've seen in television this year and how television is changing. And I've I've sort of got four or five shows very quickly to make some points about how television is being made, and then I think I'll throw well, I will throw it to all the rest of you. One of my um, guilty pleasure TV shows that I still watch is Teen Wolf, which is it's a fun show. It's aimed at the YA demographic, but it's well written, lots of eye candy. It's, as I say, it's a guilty pleasure show. But they've gone into season six despite the ratings going down this year. And they've done season six. They said it'd be the last one. And the showrunner for that's actually said the reason they got that series was that gets into 100 episodes. Yeah. Which means that it can be shown in syndication in perpetuity. And it reminds me of back in the days when Red Dwarf was taken to 52, because it used to be 52 was the number. that That meant you could be shown one a week for a year, every year, and you could get there. So that idea of now having these smaller shows that are getting a million viewers on a cable network... They find a nice audience, they get a social media following, and they just churn them out, they get to 100, and it now becomes part of the landscape. Hmm. I've also started watching, I'm only obviously one episode into it at this stage, but uh, The Grand Tour, which is the new version of Top Gear. Oh, yes, yeah. Look, I'm not a car nut, but I enjoy watching those three characters, their sense of humour is like mine, and I really enjoy the travel aspects, which is what they're dialling up in the new show. When Clarkson was said, is it better working for Amazon versus the BBC... He said absolutely, and the reason he gave was when they make an episode and they give it to Amazon, Amazon goes, this is really good, you're obviously enjoying it, keep going, here's a check. Whereas the BBC would go through it with the lawyers in the room and say, well, is it hitting this button, is it hitting this demographic, that's going a bit out there, that's not Mm. appropriate, and it would kind of be committed to death. And so I thought that was a really good example of how these new producers of television are so much more free mm. to do what they want, to find a demographic that'll pay money. It, it, it might, kind of like a movie, uh, just to diverge a bit, you know, Kevin Smith is a director, I think, I know Richard, you and I like. He's always said that he can keep making $10 million movies <laughs> as long as he can get $15 million worth of audience. So he's find an audience and you can just keep making those movies. And this is what television's doing. Uh, the Crown is something I've been watching recently with Matt Smith. And again, on my social media feed, which is a very particular segment of the population, that's gone off huge. But again, it's a huge budget show that can just find its audience all across the world. It can find a probably a quite educated middle class audience, probably an older audience like us, who yeah. are pining for an older style of television. And it can put that money into it and then sell it directly to yeah, it. Who's that produced by? Uh, Netflix. 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 I mean, they're pumping $6 billion in content, original content in yeah. alone. And there's an episode of The Crown, well, you can't really have spoilers in this because it's history, and it's very good history. Mm. There's an episode of The Crown where a large part of it is uh, Churchill towards his retirement having his uh, painting being painted for his 80th birthday, the quite famous painting that he later, his wife burnt. And there's a segment there that's about eight or nine minutes long, and it's just a conversation between Churchill and the artist about life and what motivates them and the death of their children. And I'm sitting there going, what other TV show in 2016 would have an eight-minute scene of two good actors Mm. just talking at each other? But they can do it now because they can find an audience. 
The final point I want to make is how hard it is to keep up with them. This perhaps comes back to what we were talking about before. Shows like The Flash, I really enjoy. How to Get Away with Murder, I really enjoy. Tyrant, I quite enjoyed. But if you don't watch it every week, as soon as you get to two or three banked up... You're screwed. It's, you're screwed. Yeah. And you sort of have to wait to... Okay, I'm going to have to dedicate some time and smash through half a season. Hmm. Suits, I've really enjoyed, and I've got through watching that every week. But the moment you get to one or two behind, suddenly life's busy these days and you're a season behind and I get, I kind of get maybe that's where you are with Doctor Who Richard once, you, once you're a few episodes behind it's so hard to it, catch it up it is hard and look I, I've dropped off shows I mean look I haven't watched uh, I'm still way behind with The Flash I'm still in season 2 and I, I got to a point where I was, you're right I was several behind um, and, and haven't really caught up um, to, to be honest and sad and all as it sounds, I'm actually probably more up to date with the new Thunderbirds and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> um, than I am with any other stuff, and that's because I watch them with my son. You so, good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm actually quite enjoying it, um, and, and he really likes them, and look, it's, it's something we can watch together. So yeah. that's really good. Yeah, I'm behind with the flesh. Doctor Who is more... I, I'm actually just not interested in going back. Like Fair I will. I, I am actually interested in catching up with The Flash. I just haven't done it yet, and I'm far more likely to do that. One I'm looking forward to for next year is, is Better Call Saul. I got behind with Season 2 of Better Call Saul, but I actually sat there and thought, no, I'm not doing anything this weekend. Wife and kids around on, on the Sunday afternoon. I thought, right, I actually sat down and just smashed through three episodes just to catch up. You know, I was actually interested. I actually wanted to sit there and watch, see where that went. Yeah, and, and there are so many TV shows now that I look at and think, I'd love to watch this show. Sorry, if you're working a full-time job, have even a semblance of a social life these days, it is not physically possible to watch the television you want to watch. The days of there being four terrestrial channels... And if you're home in the evening, you saw that episode. They're gone. And it's great because there's so much television. But there's and a lot there's so of much film. good television. There's, too, there's so much good television. Compared to, say, 10 years ago, it's just like this. Well, man, but, 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 in the US. Yeah, but if you look at free to air, like if we go to the you know, Australian TV guide today and went through what's on free to air in peak hour, mm. that's still all rubbish. That's just the same crap that there was 10 years ago. Well, that's fine. We, we think it's rubbish. Well, well we the do. Well, the we people do. who watch it. No, but objectively, it yes. is rubbish. It is, I mean, it is. You can't tell me that a show about putting wallpaper up in a house mm. by a couple of layabout bogans who have nothing of interest to have done in their entire bloody life, you cannot tell me that that is objectively a good piece of television. I think the most interesting thing about the TV environment at the moment is the way that it is changing. How it is moving away from the four, in Australia, the four terrestrial networks. And as Dave was saying, I mean, you can now with something like Netflix or Amazon or, or HBO, you can narrow cast your TV show to a particular audience and they're cashed up enough that they will get involved with that. One of the TV shows that I watched this year was Stranger Things. Yes, fantastic. Now, I mean, it is pure 80s nostalgia. I mean, it, ex- oh. it, it exists... I mean, if you look at it, it doesn't really speak to anything else other than get, in, get on board, let's have a bit of 80s nostalgia. And it's coupled with, you know, some really good storytelling. I mean, I used to role-play when I was younger. The sort of movies that they, they, they referenced there, the John Carpenter movies, the Stephen King books, it's, it's pure, you know, pure clickbait for me. Um, so that sort of thing, if you're interested in that sort of thing, you know, you can be catered for. And the other thing that I've found with my TV viewing this year is that I have actually looked back. I have been on a, a run through The X-Files, you know, the quintessential 90s show. And I've also been watching with my wife uh, The West Wing, and we're ploughing through that at the moment. Okay. Um, each, I mean, you know, in a sense, those those shows probably couldn't be made now, especially in the, the length that they are. And and, and The West Wing is a, is a very smart show that certainly I don't think it would be made on on, on uh, regular network TV. It'd, mm. it'd appear on a on a cable network or yeah. a Netflix. Mm. But both of those shows 
the reason why they still hold up for me is the quality of the writing and the quality of the acting, particularly the West Wing and particularly yeah. the early West Wing episodes. Can, can I just pick out a point you made there about the narrow casting, Rob? And I think mm. it's a really good one. Uh, I'm a big fan of Max Landis, the director, yep. and of Samuel Barnett, the actor. So when they got together to do the new series or the new imagining of Dirk Gentley's Holistic Detective Agency, that hasn't been shown in Australia, had any attention. But because I followed the actor and the director on Twitter... I've known about it and I've sorted out and I've gone and found it. Yeah. And that's uh, such an amazing proposition that because I'm interested in a particular genre, actors, p- people, I've been able to find exactly yes. the program that I want mm. and seek it out rather than relying on yeah. what the networks want to show me at night. And that's the fundamental, one of the fundamental changes is instead of it being served up to you and this is what you, you, you have to watch what you get, you can, as you yeah, say, you go can, and yeah. hunt yeah. it out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which, which is what movies have been doing for 50 years. You know, you, you, if you're making a movie, you work out who your audience is, you pitch a story to them, you, you, you estimate how many tickets you think you can sell to that audience, that dictates the budget, and then you make it and you hope that that audience will find it and buy it. Now, whether that's a Kevin Smith $15 million movie or Star Wars $1 billion movie or anything in between, you find an audience and you make the movie for the audience and then they buy it. That's, that's what's happening to television now. Exactly. Mark, what's, what's kept you going this year? I'm watching a lot of stuff on Netflix. I mean, Netflix has been my go-to yeah. uh, streaming service, bit of Stan as well. But I haven't touched watched anything on free-to-air no, in likewise. ages. Likewise. Other, other, know? Than, other than sport, I don't think I've watched yeah. anything uh, on just, free-to-air TV this year. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. either been <clears throat> acquired or, or streamed. And yeah. the, the, the stuff on Netflix in particular... I mean, you mentioned The Crown. I started watching that last night. We smashed three episodes. Mm. And it was absolutely, I just said, this is like feature film quality. The production values were absolutely sensational. Yeah, you know? and, and the writing was fantastic. Really refreshing to watch some great television. The interesting just, thing about this year and last year is that the production companies are so confident in what they're marketing to, their, to, to, to an audience that you, you, you can get something like Daredevil, which is about a man who wears a red costume and gallivants around New York, and you'll know that you'll find an audience. Yes. Audience tastes have shifted. Audience interests have shifted, and the audience is probably more aware. Too. Yeah, and in terms the genrefication of television and movies, the way that movies appear to have been completely gobbled up by superhero um, tropes or, genre, or the superhero mm. genre and Doctor Who and Doctor. I mean, you know, Game of Thrones, which is massively popular within a certain demo- demographic. For, for some reason. Yeah, I mean, I was there when the books first started coming out, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on vinyl. <laughs> the, 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 walking, the Walking Dead, uh, The Flash. I mean, genre seems to be where it is at the moment. Uh, and, and you reflect upon 2005 when Doctor Who first came out. And, and regardless of the fact that that was called Doctor Who and we were all long-term Doctor Who fans, that was a piece of BBC-produced science fiction that we kind of would have lapped up, I suspect, anyway, because there was such a dearth of that mm. for so long. Mm. Other than more niche shows like Babylon 5, particularly once the Treks went out, there was such a dearth of that. Whereas now, if Doctor Who was came back today, it would be competing with yeah. so many other programs. So much, uh, and, so, and that's and, why and, when and it's not on for a year, it's, it's not that I'm missing it or not missing it or anything. It's not a judgment. There's just so much else to there, film. There is, and there's a lot of other genre stuff too, I think, is yes, the other yeah. thing that just wasn't around there. I mean, you get to a point now, I mean, when they released Luke Cage, that broke Netflix, basically, yeah. the day those those episodes dropped. Netflix actually went down for about two and a half, three hours yeah. because it, it, it just simply couldn't cope with the demand. Yeah. So it wasn't just Netflix and chill, it was just chill. <laughs> Whatever the hell that means, you young people. just um, <laughs> You young people. I, I will say that 
I think that when Doctor Who comes back next year, that the fact that it's been off for a year will be to its grave detriment. And I think the audience numbers will reflect that. In this day and age, you can't do that. Well, you simply can't the, do the that and not expect is, to copper hiding in the viewing ratings. I was going to say, the other thing is, when, when you were talking about ratings last year, when this is a flagship Saturday night show, is that a British thing? Because here in Australia, I mean, Saturday night is a wasteland here, really, on, on free-to-air, on any free-to-air TV mm, mm. here on a, on a Saturday night. That's not prime time at all. I mean, it was used to be the, the home of the variety show. It's it's You're up and competing against sport. Or you, you had the bill, which was very much aimed at... Parents. That, that, was was the old, that was what the older people would watch. But yeah, I mean, you think stuck, a younger program was either footy or they'd put a movie on. Mm. Uh, and it wouldn't be a first run movie, it'd be a repeat movie. Mm. Um, where, so here in Australia, I mean, Saturday night's been a dead time slot yeah. for, for years. Yeah, 40 years, yeah. yeah. Saturday night in the UK is, is big. I mean, is it still like that? I mean, is that, is I that are, you, are you starting to see. A, I mean, look, I don't, ne- never lived in England and whatever. So, I mean, we're talking from an Australian perspective. Is, is the thing you're starting to see a cultural shift there that, look, Saturday night just isn't the, the, the big time slot? It's more around, I can watch this any time I want. Mm. I don't need to be sitting in front of the television waiting, oh, Doctor Who, half an hour ago. I can go out and say, do you know what? I'm okay for another hour or two. I can go and watch it on iPlayer or iView, wherever it is, when I get back. And the point that I've made a few times in different conversations is that in a lot of fan discussions, people seem to think that you go from being a viewer of every episode to not watching overnight. Whereas I think in most people there's a transition, particularly on free to air. You go from, I must watch every episode to, I'll catch it when I'm home, or I'll catch it if I can. And maybe after a while of that, you then drop off. And I think what we're seeing with Doctor Who at the moment is not people walking out of the show in droves, but it's going from, I must catch every episode to, yeah, look, I'll get to it when I can. And now, in some cases, I'll get to it when I can. Is I don't get around to it hmm. because there's so much else to oh, catch up on. I think, yeah, I think right. you're right. I think Doctor Who might be at that transition point between sort of must watch to eh, and then I think it's going to suffer when it does make that transition. And that comes back to a point I think I made six months ago, which is I could see it coming back as a very successful, say, Tuesday night show. Yeah. It may struggle to continue to be the flagship Saturday night show. Just do it. And that's, not a, sh- that's, that's not, not a shameful thing. Exactly right. I mean, it's look, just a maturation thing. That's what they did for season 19, right? They moved it to a twice weekly slot and the ratings went up with a new young actor. So that's what they might need to have to do this time for, seri- for series 11 if Capaldi goes. Ooh. And that's that. So we've talked about the year without who. Let's look forward to the year with who. One minute each. What do you want from the next season of Doctor Who? Rob? What I want from the next season of Doctor Who, I, what's, what I've always wanted from Doctor Who is well-told, exciting adventures. I don't want to see a concentration on the new companion. Moffat's problem largely is the fact that he's more in love with his companions than he is with the lead character. The hint of the approach that you should take with the show is in the fucking title, and it's not in the companion. And... I think Capaldi has suffered and I do not want to see him suffer next year with Pearl Mackey being the lead character in his own show. But you've not only got Pearl Mackey, you've also got Matt Lucas back as no, well. You know what, that was so, so much of an afterthought I didn't even think about it. I, I, um, I, so know. is that, is that you know, sorry I didn't want to burst your, no, your no, bubble. No, no, but... no. First it should be well written and we know it's going to be well produced because they've got the money for it. It should be just exciting and engaging and it shouldn't be, it shouldn't focus so much in on itself and emotions and all that rubbish Tell a good story, excite me, scare me, make me laugh, drag me in. Don't turn me off with rubbish about Pearl Mackey and whoever builds exciting adventure. <laughs> that. 
Alright, uh, Richard, your minute. Well, as given I haven't watched much of this year, I'm probably not likely to watch much of next year. So, <laughs> but so if you heard word of mouth from us, what would what sort of word yeah, of mouth uh, from m- us would Much like you, you I would want probably standalone stories, really simple, well-told, exciting, engaging, scary even stories that, that actually make you want to watch. Yeah, at the moment, it's just a self-indulgent mess. Well, it's more a case... I'm, Pos- positive, yeah. guys. Think positive. No, well, I'm, I'm not interested... I like you. I'm not interested in the companions. I'm not interested in their arc. I'm not interested in how much they love or don't love the Doctor. I really just want to be entertained and watch, as I said, exciting, punchy stories. Mm-hmm. And I'm more interested probably in, in some of the other stuff that's coming next year, not Doctor Who. <laughs> I will say that. If you're going to do a Dalek story, do it a good Dalek story, like Power of the Daleks where they're evil and they're conniving and all that sort of thing. If you're going to do the Cybermen, do a Cybermen story where they're not weak tin soldiers. Make them menacing. Make them horrifying. Don't make it a, cu- a cookie-cutter thing. Just do something exciting with it. Just remake Earthshock. That's right. Again and again. again. I was going to say, because I'm probably more interested in in stuff like this. Better Call Saul's about to come back. We're getting the Punisher series next year. Curse Enthusiasm enthusiasm is coming back, which I am very excited about. But we're talking about Doctor Who. Yeah, sorry. I feel like I'm in an echo chamber. Snap. Snap. Um, I want Peter Capaldi to be given the material he deserves. I think he's one of the best actors in the role. Oh, As you guys said, I want fun and engaging stories. I want to be scared. I want to be you know, surprised. I want to have laughter. And I want them self-contained. I don't want ridiculous arcs going through them. Uh, I think it's been to the show's detriment. Just as Rob said many years ago, just tell a story, Stephen. Let's have an adventure. And less reliance and focus on the companions. As Rob said, it's Doctor Who. Look, I am a bit worried about Matt Lucas and, and Pearl Mackie, but, you know, while there's life, there's hope. On, on that... I found bringing Matt Lucas back quite strange, and I haven't been following it. But Desperation. Well, but that's the thing. Like, you go to all the trouble of casting a new companion, and then you do the little skit where you introduce her to, to, the, to the audience, and, and if you want to take that tack that makes sure that she's capable of delivering all that sparkling moffaty dialogue. And then you announce we're going to bring back... A second, a second companion in there as well, you know which seems to defeat think, the purpose. You know what I honestly think? I think it's management saying that Moffat, you need to do something to help bring more viewers in. And Matt Lucas, I think, has a particular audience, and it's, it's that's either going to bring them in or turn them away. On on one level, it is baffling, but on another level, if they're actually worried about Capaldi driving viewers away. This is a, an element that may bring viewers back and uh, just cancel that out. Is it, is it two companions in every episode? We don't know at this point. No, I haven't said it. It's too early to say. I don't, I don't think it's every episode. Yeah, right. we, I think we've been told it's more than one, but less than all. So, yeah. any combination in the... <laughs> yes, that's, that's right. Dave, what was your uh, minute? Look, I, I care what you say about wanting more self-contained stories and stuff like um, Before the Flood and Under the Lake was really good last mm. year. Yeah. Uh, stuff like Listen was really good. Yeah. Uh, those self-contained ones, I, I really enjoyed. I echo in part what you say. Not so much that I need less emphasis on the companion, because I appreciate that it is a more balanced story now. I would like to see a very different companion. I'd like to see somebody who... And look, maybe it's my blink of viewing, but I couldn't tell you the difference between Amy and Clara. So for me, it's been one companion that has resonated with me for about five years. I would like to see a very different take. Maybe Pearl Mackey will be that. Uh, I would like to see a Harry Sullivan companion one day. Mm. I'd, I'd actually really like to see that. I don't think we'll get that this season, but I think that would be a really interesting thing to do. A, a male companion who's there just to be a male character who isn't trying to hump 
either the companion or the other companion or the Doctor. That would just be really good. Uh, I want to see some more historical stuff. I think mm. the Capaldi could do that really well. I've heard that we may be getting some of that. Just a straight this historical? Season. Just straight historical, yeah. I'd really like to see that take on it. I Absolutely. think that we could do that really well. And, and maybe the success of stuff like The Crown will be an impetus for for that. Maybe they'll say there is an audience for that. Uh, and and the final point that I wrote down here in my notes is I hope that Nardal isn't terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but but we'll see. Look, I, look I'm... Matt Lucas has never done it for me. I, I'm not a fan of Little Britain. I'm not a fan of the other stuff he's done. I don't think he was particularly good in Les Miserables either. Maybe he'll surprise me, but that's that's probably the thing I'm most worried about next season. But there's there's potential, and I've enjoyed the last two, so I'm going to watch the next the next one. Thought, thoughts on the Christmas special? It'll be a Christmas special. It'll be a Christmas special. So what's, it, it. what's it called, Doctor Mysterio? What's it called? Thank you. Well, the, the trailer dropped. Did anybody? No. Watch it. Get anything no. out of the trailer? I didn't watch it. I just didn't thought, you? no, I'm just going to watch it, and then I'm not going to. I'm going to go on low expectations. It, it's going to be a Christmas special, which means it'll either be harmless fluff or it'll be terrible fluff. Hmm. So what? But I'm not going to cinemas to watch it for that way. I don't want to say a Christmas turkey. I know, I don't, look, I, like all Christmas specials, I think it's not going to be indicative of necessarily no. what we get no. next year. No. no, But it's not going to be something that I'll think I'll hunt. Yeah, about. look, I thought The Husbands of River Song, which I at least was able to watch in context on Christmas night in the UK, I thought that was perfectly decent Christmas fluff. It was a solid Christmas episode that you can now sort of move on from. Some of Moffat's, I mean, um, the one with the alien facehuggers, or whatever it was. Uh, last Christmas. Last Christmas. Yeah, yes. that 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 was a perfectly that, right. that was a perfectly decent piece of fluff. Some of them have been terribly awful pieces. I mean, the the Doctor, the Witch, of the Wardrobe, or Snowman. I I, I struggle to watch either of them. The Cyber King one was awful. Was yeah, that's oh, the um, no, the, 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 the the next Doctor. Yeah, yeah, that was the next Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. All, all, all the Rusty and Davies ones, apart from the Christmas Invasion, are awful. Mm. They're, they're, yeah. they're terrible. Moffat's, Moffat's actually had some quite decent Christmas Christmas Carol's films. been... It was, yeah. Christmas Carol's probably the best of the lot. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, Moffat's had some decent... Yeah. 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 yeah, that's, that's right. It, it's fluff, but it was quite watchable. It was very well done. Mm. Yeah. I actually would like the Christmas special not to be set at Christmas. Yes. Yes. Why nice. does it have to be set at Christmas? Exactly right. I mean... Yeah. Otherwise it would never be made. They need something for Christmas, so there you go. But yeah, I look at it. Anyway... We're getting towards the end of the episode, and Mark, I believe we are in the presence of a published Doctor Who author. We are. So I've just had a new... Uh, no, sorry. No, <laughs> <laughs> no uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my colleague Rob... Uh, actually, Rob, you can tell us how, how it all came about. Well, it's, technically it's not Doctor Who, but... It, the, um, it's in the broader Doctor Who. It's in the broader. I mean, I mean, go back to DWM two fourteen. You'll see something published in the Doctor Who. No. <laughs> <laughs> so a number of years ago, uh, organisation uh, known as Candy Jar, which is a publisher in the UK, um, got the licence to do uh, spin-off fiction uh, around uh, Colonel Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart, and they release books every every year. Obviously, uh, what they've started doing recently is uh, tied into. Pre-ordering the books or pre-ordering a set of books, you'll get a free piece of fiction, uh, short fiction between five and ten thousand words. And I saw something on, on, on a forum posted by uh, the managing editor or the publisher, and I thought um, what they what it was was about an Australian author who'd actually had something published, and they were looking for other authors. And I think it's a way of them cultivating future authors. Mm. Uh, so I contacted uh, her, and then she put me in touch with Andy Frankham Allen, who is the actual editor of the range. And he said, well, give me a couple of ideas. 
give me some samples of your writing and uh, we'll see how we go. So obviously he liked, um, I think, well, he must have liked something. And he said, I don't like that story idea, we'll go with this one. So I went with that one. Now, I had to have it ready for Halloween and it had to be a Halloween themed short story and it had to involve at least three of the four main characters in the range. Now there's no uh, Lethbridge Stewart in it for particular reasons uh, that I was told. But I had about five weeks to write, and fortunately I was getting... I had, uh, right at the very end of that, I had um, some time off from work for some minor surgery that I had, so... Um, basically, I wrote a 10,000-word story in about five weeks and managed to get it edited up, and uh, it went out. So if you uh, go onto the Candy Jar website, I think it's candyjar.co.uk, and you look uh, there for a story called Eve of the Fomorians, uh, that's my story. To get it at this point... I believe well, you should actually contact the people at Candy Jar, but I believe you need to you need to have ordered or pre-ordered Times Squared, which is their latest book. But again, I would actually contact them if you want to um, contact it. But next year, I want a copy of it. But next year, um, they're releasing a collection, their third collection of short stories uh, called The Havoc Files, and I, my story will be in that. Round of applause. Very good. Well done. I read it. It was very very good. And. I also should have said, in uh, in the tone of the season, it is a, a sort of a quasi science fiction mm. horror uh, piece, um, and uh, I enjoyed writing it. And I hope people, if they've got their hands on it or do in the future, uh, enjoy it as well. So there you go. Speaking of more plugs, Dave, you and Richard have been uh, tarting around uh, behind my back again. Would you like to uh, explain what you're doing? Well, yes, we've we've got sick of you controlling the reins of the podcast here in Melbourne. <laughs> so, so we've been a bit unfaithful with Rob. No, no, <laughs> no, we've we've started releasing a goodies podcast, which is called the Goodies Pirate Podcast, and those people who are fans of the goodies will hopefully get the reference in the title to their pirate radio station. If you're interested in this, then you can find Goodies Pirate Podcast on Facebook, on Twitter, on iTunes, all the usual places. But basically, Richard and I, with a number of guests, which include Rob, which include Mark, and there'll be others that may be familiar to some of the audience, are going through every episode in order over, well, over a fair period of time. 76, isn't it? Yep. And uh, we're we're just going through our thoughts. We're watching them all. Some of them we haven't watched for... You know, mm-hmm. years, literally years, and so we're seeing them almost for the first time. We're looking at what our favourite gags are. We're looking at probably my favourite segment is becoming what couldn't they get away with today, which which <laughs> yes. is quite an interesting little <laughs> yes. little thing. But Richard, you're obviously the co-host on that. I, I am, and, and look, we're currently up to by the time I'm guessing by the time this goes out, we'll probably be up to getting towards the end of season one. We'll certainly be well into season one, yeah. Um, I think. Look, it's it's going quite well so far. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, some of you will jump on board. Um, I think Rob's uh, Rob's enjoying himself. It is. It's always good to, you know, go back and uh, and watch these things that sort of are formative for your childhood. And it's always good to sit, like any good podcast, um, have a chat about it and just exchange views. Check him out. When's the first episode going live? By the time you release this, we first episode's going out the first of December. So okay, we'll probably so be at we'll be at either yeah, uh, we'll, we'll either be, be at Play, Play Girls Club or, or Greenies yeah, by right. the time. By the yeah, time you we'll put the link in the show yeah, notes we'll put the link in the show notes. So. Uh, before we go, I while we're doing the podcast today, I'm actually going to set as a challenge. Don't look so unhappy about it. Homework? <laughs> yeah, homework. So it's, it's almost like we're in class. Oh, he's mentioned it. That's it. I'm breaking the iPad rule. You owe everybody around. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we're doing so well. We're the only podcast who actually hasn't talked about class, actually. So, uh, and there's a reason for that. Uh, well, what? You, you haven't watched any of it. I watched one episode. Some of us enjoy it. Yeah, well done. Um, <laughs> just because some of us are under 40. <laughs> oh! That's why next year, uh as my birthday hits, we're changing the name of the podcast 45 to Doomsday. <laughs> Last summer holiday, I was uh, rereading a target novelization of the Android Atara. And I thought, how about for this summer, we all pick a target book out. I will set, I'll send the email so out. So are you going to pick the book for no, us? No, I'm going to pick the Doctor and the season that the book belongs to. And then you can choose which one. And then we'll go away and read it and talk about it next year. And we can choose a season for you? Absolutely. Except season 24. Well, actually, so, I was going to say, can I have season 16? Because I've pre-ordered the Pirate Planet. So, um, no, <laughs> and now we're talking classic targets, not new who targets. Oh. So what we've done is we've added some rules. Basically, there is a, uh, a no uh, Terrence Sticks fly zone. We can't touch any novelizations by Terrence Sticks. So we've just excluded about 90% of the range. But that's okay. I've just drawn this out of the hat and just gone like this. So for Dave, season 18. That's uh, cool. I can do that. Richard, season 22. You bastard. <laughs> and Rob, this is going to tie into your love of the Omni Rumor, season 3. Season 3. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Mark, we've had a quick discussion and we're giving you season 2. Oh, nice. What we'll do is in the new year when we do our next podcast together, we'll reconvene and we'll have a chat about uh, what we thought of the books. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. Is everybody happy with that? Yes. I'll do Revelation of the Daleks. <laughs> it's on the TSV website, go and download it. <laughs> Before we go, we've just got a few thank yous to read out, so I'll make this as quick and painless as possible. So, we've had some guests on this year. We've had Doc Hoom from Diddly Dumb Podcast. Thank you, Doc. David J. Howe about the Target book, which was a really good uh, discussion on that. We had Tom come over uh, with you guys talk about Blake's Heaven, which ironically I thought would be one of the worst in terms of download episodes we ever did, but it's actually one of the best ones we did. So that was really uh, well, a shows how popular Blake's Heaven really is. It, really, it surprised me how popular it is. So maybe next year we might do a non-canon topic, maybe another one. Callum. Star Trek. <laughs> no. We might, um, we, might actually start, we might actually start up a decent Black 7 podcast. Ooh! Well, actually, those guys who were going through every single episode, mm. they actually got to, to Hostage, and they've stopped. They haven't released one for about four months. Oh. <laughs> Patreon's running Sorry, go on. Sorry, sorry. Uh, Also, we had Rob Lloyd and Rob Irwin as well. So uh, thank you guys for appearing on our uh, humble podcast. It was great having you on. And of course, Richard and Dave, we'd like to thank you guys for appearing on our podcast. Uh, thank you very much for allowing us to be part of it. Yes, it's always a pleasure having you around at my place and just chatting about Doctor Who. Yes. Which we, we do. I hope, I hope our love for the one series day, has come through in this episode. I was going to say, one day we should release an outtakes podcast. I, I, I've often wondered about 42 to Doomsday After Dark. <laughs> <laughs> it would be the equivalent of listening to uh, Killing in the Name of by Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> <laughs> it would be absolutely nuts. Also, I'd like to thank Rob as well. Thank you very much. We, we do have fun when we do these. Thank you for all your help and support during the year. Been great. Really I'd, enjoyed I'd like doing. to echo that. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you to uh, Richard and Dave, Dave especially for hosting and all these sugary goodies in front of us. Uh, yeah, Mark, thank you very much. Um, it's always fun to do the podcast, even though it is a lot of hard work afterwards. But uh, yeah, no, it's been a great deal of fun. And uh, thank you to all our listeners for you know tuning in and downloading. Without an audience, it's just basically 
hailing at the moon, so thank you. And the question's been asked, are we going to come back next year? We will, because we want to give Stephen Moffat the send-off he truly deserves. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and on that bombshell, uh, Merry Christmas Merry and Christmas. a Happy New Year to everyone. To finish off 2016, I've been Mark. I've been Dave. I've definitely been Rob. And I'm Richard. Keep punching! And a Merry Christmas to all of you at home. Oh, yes. <laughs> Wish to be your friend. Please, may I have some more plum pudding and custard? I'm gonna spend my Christmas with a Dalek. And if I make him happy, he will stay. Just go and, and twinkle his eye. And then my little Dalek will say, Merry Christmas. Christmas tree. Happy Christmas. Mistletoe. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. just listen to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.